You did good. Okay. B'Shem Hashem Naaseh V'Natzliach Shiur Torah. Good to be in Aventura at the Breast of Center again. Baruch Hashem. We have Chodesh uh, Elul showing us that uh, whether we like it or not, we're going to have to do tshuva. There's a lot of balagan all over the world. Um, if you remember uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, um, the situation where we had the, uh, the, uh, the moon situation with, uh, with um, what was it called, the eclipse, uh, and Rosh Chodesh Elul, and uh, according to Chazal, it was a, uh, it's a reminder from Hashem that we're not doing as great as we think we're doing. Since then, there's been a wealth of negative news. What's happening in Houston, Shem Rachem, and help all of those suffering families that lost their homes, lost their businesses, lost different people have died. People are starting to realize that Hashem Barach is trying to wake us up. Now we have a situation where you have this uh, Hurricane Irma, I-R-M-A, uh, that is scaring the life out of many people uh, here in Florida and uh, different parts of the United States. People are panicking. People are becoming hysterical, emptying shelves out of all the different supermarkets of water and pretty much anything they can put their hands on. And, you know, we asked a good question. What's going to make people do tshuva first? Elul, which is a 40-day pre- preparation before Judgment Day, before Hashem decides whether you live or die, rich or poor, kids or no kids, marriage or no marriage, a day that on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem decides everything for both the Jews and non-Jews. So Elul gives you 40 days of preparation for that day. We're already almost halfway through, or more than halfway through. So the question is, is Judgment Day going to be the one that helps people do tshuva, or is Irma going to help people do tshuva? The hurricane. And it looks like Irma is doing a better job. It looks like Irma is causing more people to be scared because for some reason people separate the Creator from His creation. People are praying specifically for Irma to go away instead of praying for Hashem to stop it. As if it's a different entity. They give it a name they uh, talk about it as if it's its own uh, has its own powers, and this is very sad, because this is the root of all of our problems, is that we don't really understand who and what Hashem is to such an extent that a person can live seventy, eighty years, a hundred years, thinking themselves as religious, thinking themselves as connected to Hashem. All the while, they're idol-worshipping their whole life. People can live an entire life thinking that they're connected to God while they're idol-worshipping. 
And one of the main reasons is because we don't spend enough time investigating the truth and we don't invest enough time being looking for the truth and working on ourselves and being intellectually honest because people are dying for excuses for shortcuts so they can get out of it so sometimes they make their rabbi a god they say no rabbi so and so said that if i do abc then i have ulamaba Rabbi so-and-so, first of all, didn't say it. And if he said it, he's not a rabbi. He's an idol. Usually they connect these idol-worshipping types of promises to holy rabbis, which is the first sign that it didn't happen. It's made up. But why do people do it? They do it because they want a shortcut. They want to do one thing that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. One thing so they can get to Allah Abba. But this is being intellectually dishonest. And the reason why is because you know that in business, in family, in anything you have in life, it requires steps, it requires work to get to the promised land, to get to success. No one has a one-button turbocharge. You can't just press a button and then become successful in anything in life, not in marriage, not in business, not in anything. So why do you think that you can do it with God? So this is being intellectually dishonest. And people could do this their whole lives, fooling themselves that if they read Tehillim a million times a week, they don't have to do anything else. Well, what about keeping Shabbat? What about being modest? What about covering your hair? What about laying tefillin? What about learning Torah? What about giving tzedakah? What about doing chesed? What about the other mitzvot? One tehillim, that's it. You just do tehillim, nothing else. Or they pick like two, three convenient mitzvot, and that's it. They figure that it's tzaddikim. No, this is my level. This is my level. Your level is uh, dishonesty. So one of the things that uh, is going to save us at the end of days that we find ourselves in is being intellectually honest. Making sure that we're not just simply doing mitzvot that are convenient for us to do. We're doing things because Hashem said so. And sometimes what Hashem says is a little more difficult to do. Also, uh, at some point I'll show you that uh, this irma is in the Torah. But first I want to um, get the questions from you guys, because I know you guys like the questions, and uh, it also has to do with the shiul. To show you that the um, Torah is endless. So let's take some questions, then we'll talk a little bit about how Irma is in the Torah and uh, continue with Pirkei Avot. So I think we have a Keila in New York that set up a uh, projector in their Keila and they're watching the Shior live. I'm not sure if everything worked out or not, but uh, I think that from what they told me, everything is set up. They have a projector and they're watching the Shior live, so we may get some online questions. If you see online questions, let me know. But, uh, okay, let's go. Start with some questions. Almost, you said you had some questions. Okay, next. Uh, someone that actually is ready for a question. Um, with regards to OUD. OUD. Uh, I'm hearing a lot of 
Meaning kosher dairy? Yeah. Okay, what about it? Why is it not kosher? No, they're talking about Chalav Israel. They're not talking about OUD. Chalav Israel. What else is there? Other than OUD? Conflicting stories to what he said. Okay, well, we have Hekshel organizations now. Uh, Orthodox Union is a reliable Hekshel. And if they say that the dairy is kosher, it's kosher. What uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein said is in regards to Chalav Yisrael, uh, meaning whether you're obligated as a Jew to um, drink Chalav Yisrael or not, or you could just uh, drink traditional kosher milk. And the reason why is because we are always afraid to drink the, the uh, milk of the goyim because uh, milk can come from multiple animals that are not kosher, like a camel and other animals that are not kosher. So um, that was always a fear. Now, Moshe Feinstein, Zechat Tzadik V'Kadosh Livacha, said that the cost of getting milk from a camel or, or like a non-kosher animal is, number one, so expensive that it's prohibitive from doing it. So it's not cost-effective to do it, even if someone wanted to do it. And on top of it, the amount of regulation that you have um, in the milk uh, market, in the milk uh, industry in the United States is so uh, restrictive that it's prohibitive from anyone who is a rasha who wants to you know, make people drink uh, non-kosher milk. So therefore, you can rely on traditional kosher milk and you don't have to you know, drink Chalav Yisrael. Now, of course, if someone wants to uh, add a stringency to his life and to get the blessing for adding the stringency to their life, this is a very good one to do because it's easy. It's easy to get Chalav Yisrael in America and many places in America and, you know, to, do, to, to be stringent on certain things is, uh, is a good thing to do if you know for sure you can stand with it. You know, you could stick to it. So if you could stick to it, do it. Because it's an easy stringency to do and you have special blessing from Shemaim for doing such a thing. If you can't do it, don't do it. Either way, you drink kosher milk from, uh, that's uh, certified by Orthodox Union or any of the other uh, uh, reputable kosher organizations, you're more than fine. You have nothing to worry about. Next. Nations? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so first one we answered already. But. Nations, idol worshipping, music. Yeah. Okay. Okay, got it. Nations, idol worshiping, music, uh, and uh, culture in, in general. Yeah. Oh, there was also a question that someone asked uh, online. I remember, uh, and I didn't answer last week. Uh, studying at home from books versus lecture. Listening to a lecture. Uh, which one is more important? Which one you should do? Lecture? Or uh, books. I remember somebody asked this question three times last week, but somehow we didn't. Uh, we missed it. So I uh, told them that I'll remember. So Baruch Hashem, remember it. Fidel. After this situation, also that being involved. Being involved. Yeah, I mean, you are in the environment and you go into a different world, and then you find a 
that the people are relating that to the comment running for dollar two and things. So associating with going. Associating with going. Business, pleasure, associating with going, associating with idol worshippers and so on. Worship first. Okay. I'll tell you guys a good story about my dentist. How about that? I'll tell you guys a good story about my dentist. Just happened live. Happened a few days ago. Show you people that I'm not crazy. Next. You guys decide which one? Which one goes first? Okay, that's the question. Okay, dentist, dentist story. Okay, dentist story. Prove you guys that my uh, fears are not uh, insanity. It's true. You guys decide which one or are you still arguing which one's going to ask the question? My question is just more or less about the Seth Meyer. What am I going to talk about? Oh, weather. Okay, so so uh, we're going to talk about, uh, what is it called? Irina? Irma. Irma, 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 Irma. You guys are making like I just did a Chilul Hashem. It's Irma. Okay, fine. It's okay. It's just a storm. You guys are going angry at me. I called her a wrong name. Chas Shalom. I called Irma a wrong name. She'll get upset at me. She's going to get upset at me, this Irma. You know, it's not real. I just said it. You guys didn't even listen to the first few minutes of the I just told you it's not real. It's just a name they made up. Irma, Irma, Irma got offended. Irma. How about, how about I show you Irma is in the Torah? Oh, you want to see Irma in the Torah? Okay, Irma in the Torah. Irma in the Torah. Okay, Pseder. Uh, anyone online asking questions? Women covering hair. One of my favorite topics. No? What about it? Yes. The answer is yes, but cover it with either a hat or a scarf, not with a wig. Putting hair on top of hair is not considered halachically correct, mainly because uh, we talked about it uh, in detail uh, last week, but just to briefly go over it, number one, hair over hair is not halachically correct, mainly because most women that use wigs are getting real hair, and the source of all Real hair wigs, unless you specifically got it from a regular person, is from idol worship. They get it from temples in India. So that connects the wig to idolatry. And idolatry, you're not allowed to benefit from in any way. The second thing is there's immodesty issues with it. Uh, it's virtually impossible to find the immodest wig. The third thing is that the scheme that permitted uh, hair, uh, permitted uh, wigs, which is only a handful of scheme in the past, uh, they only permitted wigs that don't look like real hair. And there is no such thing in today's world. All wigs look like real hair. That's the point of the wigs. If you ask the wig makers, what's the point of the wig? He said, for it to look natural, for it to look real. If you look at the advertising of all wigs, what's the number one thing they uh, advertise? That they look like real hair. So it defeats the purpose. And there's a video of uh, Rav Kanievsky, Sheikhyeh, uh, they show him a 15-year-old wig and they tell him, is this uh, kosher? And he says, no, it looks like real hair. Anything that looks like real hair cannot be a kosher wig, regardless of the length, regardless of the color, regardless of anything. So as far as head covering, women that are married, Jewish women that are married, must cover their hair. Women that are not married do not have to, but should cover their hair when they're praying. 
Non-Jewish women do not have to, but should cover their hair uh, if they uh, can. Uh, so, but the obligation is mainly on, on Jewish women. Non-Jewish women that are um, uh, there are Noahides and are worshiping Hashem should cover their hair at the very least when they're praying. If you look at our grandparents, for example, from the early 1900s and before, both Jews and non-Jews covered their hair. Uh, so this non-covering of the hair is only something that started in the last generation, two generations. It's not something that's always been the case. Unfortunately, we have gone down so much to the point where this generation calls underwear outerwear. So you see a bunch of people that walk around with underwear outside, uh, but they think it's outerwear. But if you ask our grandparents, did you wear that clothes? They say, yes, we wore it, but we just called it underwear. We put clothes on top of it. So people need to understand that uh, you need to actually wear clothes. You need to be modest. Uh, if you're not modest, there's no possibility for you to be righteous. And this is not my opinion, this is Gemara. Gemara is the foundation of the oral Torah. Gemara, Masechet Sota, page 2b, says that the, uh, the Rashi uh, talks about Zivug, talks about someone getting a mate, you know, finding a soulmate. He says a righteous person will be connected to a modest woman, a wicked person to an immodest woman. So Rashi says, the commentary says, what, what, is, what does one thing have to do with the other? Why is a righteous person with modest and a wicked with immodest? Shouldn't it be a righteous person with a righteous woman and a wicked person with a wicked woman? And Rashi explains, yes, a righteous person is with a modest woman because if she's modest, there's a very good chance she's righteous. A wicked person is with an immodest woman because if she's immodest, it's impossible for her to be righteous. Meaning, if she's immodest, she's guaranteed wicked. So, foundation of the uh, mitzvot for women lies on modesty. That's why you uh, see that even, uh, for example, in the Torah, anytime they talk about the, uh, the beauty of Sarai Menu, the beauty of Sarai Menu, what do they talk about? They talk about her modesty. Even though she was as beautiful to the extent where we look like monkeys in comparison to her. According to the Torah, the Midrash talks about the beauty of Sarai Menu makes anyone after Sarai Menu, meaning the most beautiful person on earth today, looks more like a monkey with hair on his face than Sarai Menu. But what's discussed in the Torah about Sarah is our modesty. Our modesty. So the same goes with all of our, all of our um, uh, uh, matriarchs, uh, and all of our forefathers, all of our, our you know, um, the um, matriarchs, patriarchs, all of them were modest. Even King Saul, uh, King Shaul, uh, Saul, uh, he, uh, he was known to be a very modest person. And because of his modesty, the Gemara Masechet Megillah says his merit of being modest as a man gave him the uh, benefit and the merit to have um, uh, Esther as one of his descendants. Esther that saved all of Am Yisrael in Purim was a descendant of Shaul HaMelech, King Saul. Why? Because he was modest and she was modest. So modesty is critical in, uh, in Judaism. Without modesty... Unfortunately, no one can get to Gan Eden. Go ahead, next. Does a non-Jew have a non-Jew? A non-Jew has a judgment day. Yom Kippur is appeal. So judgment day for everyone is Rosh Hashanah. 
Jews and non-Jews get judged on it, but the appeal is only available to the Jews. There's no Yom Kippur for, for non-Jews. Next. You're still deciding. Killing me. Menashe. Before the, what about Menashe? You know a ton of Torah. Ken, because he was a Shah. It's not like a free choice for him because he was born to be a Rasha. So how can he get punished for being a Rasha exactly because he was more inclined, more inclined, more inclined to be a Rasha, not guaranteed to be a Rasha. And the proof of that is that he did Shuvah at the end of his life. But he did. He did do Shuvah. Why doesn't it count? No, there's a, there's a machloket of whether he has Olam Abba, meaning whether he was able to remove all of the sin that he made. Because even though he did tshuva, he still left a lot of idol worship in the world. But uh, his name is not mentioned, his tshuva is not mentioned until later on in the Tanakh. And uh, that's the proof that they use that it's only mentioned later on because it took several generations, a few hundred years, for all the idol worship that he left to be removed from the world. And only when it was completely removed... Uh, was his tshuva accepted? Now, this is also for anyone that uh, sees uh, some of these Rosh Hashanah shiurim. You're going to see that it's uh, Chazal says that Hashem Barach opens the book of the living and the book of the dead. Book of the living and the book of the dead on Rosh Hashanah and judges everyone. So, opening the book of the living, we understand. Why does he open the book of the living? Because we're alive. He sees what Yaron Ruven did. He did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. He judges Yaron Ruven based on what he did. He sees this one, he sees that one, he sees everybody that's alive, fine. Someone is a sinner, he judges them as a sinner. Someone that's righteous, he judges them as a righteous person. Fine. But why does he open the book of the dead? They're dead already. He says, what did he leave behind? He died, but his neshama continues. It's somewhere in Olam Abba, either a place of pleasure or a place of eternal suffering. So that neshama left something behind. Did this person write a book where because of this book people are doing tshuva? Every time somebody does tshuva because of his book, his neshama gets to a better place. There's no end to the good that Hashem can give him. If this person left a book about idolatry, a book about... Uh, believing in evolution, and people are leaving Judaism to go, I don't know, believe in some uh, aliens, or believe in some monkeys, or believe in some nonsense, this person's neshama gets to a worse place every year. So that's why the book of the living and the book of the dead is, is open, because the neshama, the soul, is eternal. It's either going to be eternally improving, or eternally shem If you leave righteous kids... Ken, Ken, there's actually a good story about a uh, funny story. A guy says to uh, his kids, he writes in a will, he says, uh, only thing I want you guys to do is, the guy was a multimillionaire. I want you guys to bury me with a long coat and $5 in my pocket. So the kid showed this weird will to their rabbi. Rabbi says, honestly, listen, he's my student for many years. I don't know. I don't know what's, what got into him. Let me go ask him. 
So he goes to the father, he says, uh, all the years that I know you, I never understood what's, what you're writing here. Why do you want to get buried with a coat? He says, and why do you want to get buried with five bucks in your pocket? He says, well, I figured that one day is going to be the resurrection of the dead. Just like Hashem writes to the prophets, he says, one day I'm going to bring back everyone. After the Messianic days, one of the uh, main things that's going to happen is Hashem is going to resurrect the righteous dead. People that were righteous will come back to life and live the last thousand years of this world. So maybe it's going to be a cold day. Maybe it's going to be a cold day. So I want to be buried with a long coat. I said, okay, fine, long coat. Very weird. If Hashem could revive the dead, He could probably put clothes on them too, but fine, no problem. Let's put a coat on you. No problem. What's the $5 for? He says, $5 for, I know my kids. They're so cheap that even though I'm giving them all the money, they're not even going to give me $5 to get a coffee. Oh, so the Rav Rav says, oh, okay, okay. So you don't have to worry then. He goes, what do you mean I don't have to worry? You don't have to worry about resurrection of the dead because if you have kids like that, you're not going to resurrect. You understand? So, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about Irma. We're going to talk about Pirkei Avot. We're going to talk about Rabbi Israel Misalant. We're going to talk about the Chachamim that lived in this generation and previous generations. We're going to talk about Hashem Barach. Talk about all these questions. Hashem. Talk about a lot of things. I have no idea what yet, but according to these questions, we have to look at it. The dentist story. The dentist story. The dentist story is a good story. Everyone gets judged. Everyone gets judged because even even the uh, even the goyim have an olam haba. Even the goyim have an olam haba. Like for example, J.C. Penny, every year he gets deeper and deeper into the boiling feces that he's boi- that he's boiling in. Why? Because his foolishness continues to steer people away from Hashem and to idol worship. He continues, even though this wasn't necessarily potentially his intention, the reality of it is that his actions led people to sin. It led people to leave Judaism. It led people to go against Hashem. And because of that, he's in Tzohar Otachat. He's in a part of Gehenom, and he will never, ever leave. Now, people think that I'm a little, uh, I don't know, I guess, um, extreme. Okay, extreme. That's a good word. I'm extreme about this whole idolatry situation, I'm extreme about this Christianity or anti-Christianity situation. They think that a lot of it is in my head, maybe because I'm a little familiar with conversion and the process and so on. And when the whole thing that happened at uh, Boca Raton Synagogue where they wanted to bring one of the top Catholic missionaries in the world to come speak, some people, not everybody, some, a few, a few people think that I was a little bit overboard a little overboard when I uh, made a big stink about it. They said, listen, he's Catholic, he's a missionary, but he's not coming to missionize. He's coming to teach us about, uh, you know, uh, motivation, purpose of life, and all types of things. He's not missionizing. He's okay. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he wrote books. Yeah, he wrote books. He wrote one of the books called I Know Jesus. Permit. <laughs> he wrote a book called I Know Jesus. So anyway, Shem Rachem, 
They said I was overboard. No, missionizing doesn't happen. Missionizing doesn't happen. So how about this? The Rambam says that he follows Gemara and he says you must learn Torah to such an extent of being an expert in Torah where if there were ever a heretic, a mean, that would approach you, you'd be able to beat him in a debate. Not learn the Avodah Zarah, not learn New Testament, Chash Shalom, not learn Buddha, not learn Islam, not learn the Shtuyot of the world. Learn Torah, learn Torah, and become an expert in Torah with enough knowledge to beat any heretic in the world. Some people think beating heretics requires us to go learn New Testament. Chash Shalom, this is not it. Or being a heretic, beating a heretic means you go learn about uh, Islam or about Buddhism or all this garbage of the world. No, no, no. You do not need to learn any of that stuff. Only a few people in the world are even allowed to learn that stuff for the purpose of Kiddush Hashem. Like for example, Rabbi Tobia Singer, Sheikh or Rabbi Mizrahi learned uh, a little bit about it in order for public debates in order to save Jewish souls. But for the rest of us, you don't go learn those work books. You learn Torah, and you beat them with Torah. You don't beat them with Avodah Zarah. So this is what the Gemara says. This is what Rambam says. Okay? They say you have to stay away from, some, from these heretics to such an extent that you're not allowed to stand within six feet of them. Four Amot. You're not allowed to stand within six feet of Amin. So people think, I mentioned this Gemara, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's 2,000 years ago. You're old-fashioned. You're crazy. You're extreme. You're this. Such a thing doesn't exist anymore. So I'll tell you a real life story. Last week, I went to the dentist. I did some sins in my life, apparently, so I have kaparat avonot. I have to go to the dentist. You make sins. You have kaparat avonot. So this dentist, I uh, already working with him for a few months, doing did, uh, two root canals. So a lot of avonot apparently. <laughs> so anyway, so I was supposed to finish one root canal, and um, one of the times that I went to him, he's a Christian guy, and he talks. We talk, whatever we schmooze, and uh, he asked me about religion. He asked me what I do, ta ta ta, whatever. And uh, me, I think that every soul is savable. Anyone that's seriously looking for the truth is savable. Anyone that's looking for excuse, there's nothing you can do to help them. Moshe Rabbeinu can come down. They wouldn't help them. Hashem Barach can have a bad call from Shemaim, say, I am Hashem, they still believe in J.C. Penny. Why? They're looking for excuses. But sometimes you find people, Jews, non-Jews, that are looking for the truth. So I thought, this guy's asking some interesting questions. So I said, listen, I'll give you some information. You can look at it. And see what you say. If you have any more questions, let me know. So that was already, I don't know, a month ago, whenever that was. So last week, I go to the dentist. I have a 10 o'clock in the morning appointment. And as soon as I arrive at the dentist, everyone that works there, there's, I don't know, maybe a handful, half a dozen people, they're all at the uh, lobby area. And they look at me like, Oh, Rabbi Reuven, we're all waiting for you. What a surprise. Wow, I'm looking at myself. Who is this Rabbi Reuven? And then I realize it's me. We're waiting for me. Why are you waiting for me? I'm like, oh, probably waiting for me. I'm the first appointment of the day. Figured, they want to start their day already. So they're waiting for me. So I But then I see this tall, Jewish-looking guy. 
And he says, oh, Rabbi, how are you? How are you doing? And I'm like, who is this guy? He looks like he just came out of uh, some uh, uh, spa. He has like a towel around his neck. He looks like he's uh, well off. And he starts talking to me. He goes, oh, you're a rabbi? You Chabad? No. Are you this? Are you that? He asks questions. I'm like, oh, is this 20 questions? Is this part of this root canal? He's asking me questions. So I see the guy is interested in religion. And uh, he starts asking me questions. And he says, yes, I'm uh, Catholic. I'm Catholic. But I'm very interested in, you know, this and this. And start talking about religion. And within about 35, 40 seconds, I realized the guy is starting to missionize. The guy is trying to start, starts to debate me at the dentist office. And the six, seven people at the dentist office, they're all waiting for this debate. They're not waiting for my appointment. They're all waiting to see what happens when the Christian Catholic missionary and the Jewish rabbi meet. What's going to happen? So this guy starts debating me. He's not the dentist, he's just a customer. It's a customer. But apparently, he knew that I was coming. So he was very excited for me to come. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm having a 45-minute debate with this guy. Whatever I give him as a proof, he goes, yeah, yeah, but something else. He never answers the question. But everybody else is being entertained by this. And at the end, to eliminate him completely, um, because it's very easy to destroy his religion because it's fake, uh, I tell him, well, the problem with your religion is that you only have one mitzvah. You only have one mitzvah. You say that the entire Torah is canceled. He goes, no, we like the Torah, we appreciate the Torah, we believe in the Torah. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't follow anything at all. He goes, no, we follow the Torah. I'm like, you don't even follow the Ten Commandments. You don't follow anything. You only have one mitzvah in your entire religion. He goes, so everyone's paying attention now. 45 minutes, they're not even working. They're just paying attention to this debate. Like, what mitzvah is this? Giving 10%, giving ma'asel, giving money. That's the only mitzvah in your entire religion. The only thing you hold from the the Torah of Am Yisrael that we got from Mount Sinai is give money. Everything else you canceled out. He goes, no, we didn't cancel out. I'm like, yeah, what? What about the Ten Commandments? You keep Ten Commandments? He goes, yeah, we keep Ten Commandments. I'm like, oh, yeah? When do you keep Shabbat? It's the Fourth Commandment. What day? Where do you keep Shabbat? So everybody's shocked. He's like, yeah, we keep Shabbat. We just changed the day. That ended the debate. I said, end the day, you chutzpan? Who are you to change God's laws? Who are you? You just said the first three commandments is I am God, took you out of Egypt, don't have idol worship, don't uh, use my name in vain. Fourth commandment, Shabbat. You just said you believe in God in three different ways. But then you change his laws. You don't believe in God. You believe in an idol. End of debate. No, this is before he did my teeth. Oh yeah, after that I changed my dentist. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make to you guys is that the dentist himself was not the missionary. The dentist himself was just a regular Christian guy. And he was just being entertained by this. The problem is, is that it was a very, very risky thing for someone to do 
with someone else, an irresponsible thing for someone to do with someone else's soul. And the reason why is because what if I didn't know anything about anything? What if I was just a simple Jew that just knows a few things and I'm like brand new? I'm brand new to Judaism. And all of a sudden, this dentist is trying to be entertained. He gives this professional, you know, this professional assassin, soul assassin, to debate with me. And I don't know the answers. I could become an idol worshiper now. So it's a very irresponsible thing to do. The point being here is, Chazal said, you must know enough Torah to debate a heretic. Because eventually, a heretic will come to you. And Hashem showed me how this came true. I had other discussions with other people, but apparently Hashem wanted this to happen, and actually this woke up this dentist's uh, mind a little bit, and now he says, you know what, I'm going to start looking at the stuff you sent me. So, And also the other people in the office as well said that they're now more interested to see what's the real purpose of life. So apparently they had some schut, some merit, to hear the truth and falsehood at the same time. But the point I'm trying to make you guys, to you guys is that I didn't need to know all of the falsehood in the New Testament for this debate. I didn't need to know that the New Testament has a mistake in every single page. As a matter of fact, I didn't even use it. I didn't use the New Testament as a source. Why? Because using it as a source gives it validity. The fact that the New Testament contradicts the Old Testament makes it very easy to to win every debate. But you don't need to do that. All you need to know is Torah. You know Torah, you can win any debate. If you can't win a debate, that means you don't know Torah yet. You need to learn. So that's the story of the dentist. And that's the story of how Hashem Barach shows us the Torah coming to life. The Torah comes to life, and it's mamash, a uh, life. Life. So all of these people that think I'm some fanatic, and I think that there is missionary activity everywhere, and the Catholics don't missionize, and the Christians don't missionize, and this and that, this is complete falsehood. This is happening Everywhere, all over the United States, all over Europe, all over Asia, all over Israel, all over everywhere, Africa, everywhere in the world. This is happening. If a Jew does not protect his neshama by learning Torah, he's bound to fall. You had a question? Okay. No, you should run away. You should run away. Someone talks like someone starts talking Christianity to you, run away. That's the best thing to do. Yes, anyone that's a kofar, run away from it. But in general, if you can't run away, you have to know. Either way, you need to know enough to hold your own, to defend the honor of Hashem. Defend the honor of Hashem. You can't just run away your whole life. At some point, there's going to be a corner and you can't get out of it. You have to be able to honor Hashem. So these kuflima are everywhere, especially since we live amongst goyim. I don't know if you guys have checked, there's only about 7.6 billion goyim in the world. Only 7.6 billion. And somewhere in the neighborhood of about 2 to 3 million religious Jews out of the 15 to 20 million Jews altogether. So you're surrounded by kuflim, whether you like it or not. America, Israel, anywhere. You need to be ready. Only way to be ready is you learn Torah. So now, the... Irma, that's getting people to do tshuva, almost like Haman. Haman made people do tshuva, you know that, right? Haman made people do tshuva. 
Paro made people do tshuva. Why did Hashem not kill Paro? Aside from the fact that he removed his free will, is because Paro made people do tshuva. The suffering that he put on Am Yisrael got people to do tshuva. Haman almost killed all of Am Yisrael, but because he got all of them so scared that they did tshuva, he got the benefit that some of his descendants became Talmidei Chachamim in Bnei Brak. They teach Torah, became big Rabbanim. Zera Amalek became big Rabbanim. Tzadikim. Why? He got Am Yisrael to do tshuva. Now Irma, she doesn't have Olam Abba. Irma is just a storm, it's a wind. But Irma is also in the Torah. Irma is also in the Torah. If you remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about Gimatria. Gimatria is a, uh, the uh, way that you actually use the letters of the Hebrew alphabet to figure out different secrets within the Torah by adding the numerical value of each, uh, of each uh, letter. You see that there's different things that are connected. So the Mishnah says, It's like a seasoning. It's a seasoning for wisdom. So we see that there's different things in the Torah that are connected simply by seeing that their numerical value is coincidentally the same. It's not coincidence, obviously. So Irma, Irma has a few places in the Torah. I'm only going to mention a few. There's, I don't know, probably 500 of them. But I'm going to mention three of them. Irma, Irma, the storm, that some newscaster made up the name. Hashem, when he created the world, he already knew this newscaster is going to make the name. Or this weathercaster is going to make a name Irma. But it was written in the Torah. This is just to show you divine intellect. So Irma, the way you write Irma in Hebrew is Aleph, Yud, Resh Mem Hey. Aleph Yud Resh Mem Hey. Numerical value 256. Numerical value 256. Aleph 1. Yud 10 is 11. Resh 200, 211. Mem 40, 251. Hey 5, 256. So there, go with the math. Passed. Good. Okay, first. In the book of Amos, Amos, Amos Tzaddik, Amos the prophet, Amos, Amos used to be a pro- prophet. The book of Amos, in chapter 9, verse 8, it says, Ephes kilo eshmid eshmid, ashmed eshmid, et bet Yaakov neum Adonai. It says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord Hashem are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from upon the face of the earth. But I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, the word of Hashem. So Hashem Ibarach is telling the prophet Amos, Amos tell the people that the sinners, I'm going to destroy them. The goyim, the idol worshipping, I'm going to destroy them. The people that are wicked, I'm going to destroy them. 
But even sometimes you can have wicked people that are Jews. One thing I made as a promise to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov is that even when I destroy the wicked, Jews and non-Jews, with the Jews, I promise it's not going to be all of them. I'm always going to keep them. But with the non-Jews, I don't have that promise. I don't have that deal. So, from the word, Adonai Elohim b'mamlecha achata'ah, specifically those four words, that says, Lord Hashem, upon the sinful kingdom. Those four words in Hebrew, about a half a dozen words in English. Total value of those four words. Hashem, God, is upon the sinful kingdom. Numerical value, 256. Irma. So here Hashem is telling us, He's sending Irma to the Goim. He's not sending to hurt the Jews. He wants the Goim to do tshuva also. Next. Book of Daniel, chapter 2. Verse 47. So here, it says, the king exclaimed to Daniel and said, in truth, I know that your God is the God over all gods, Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets, since you were able to reveal this secret. So Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the world at the time. He was a wicked person, but he had some dreams, and Hashem gave him a prophecy of what's going to happen at the end of days. And no one was able to translate this prophecy, except Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I know that your God is the God of all gods. I know your God is Emet. Because you're the only one that was able to translate the dream. You're the only one that knew what was going on. And I didn't even tell you anything. It's not like I gave you hints and you figured it out. You knew things even though I tried steering you the wrong way. Meaning that your information that you got had to come from God. Your God is the God of all gods. It's real God. Everything else is nonsense. So in this verse, where it says, Your God is the God of all gods. Numerical value, Irma, 256. Meaning this Irma is coming from God. Which God? The God of all gods. Shemit Barach. 256. Might as well say the word. Numerical value. Next, last but not least, Book of Psalms, King David. Chapter 143. Verse 10. King David says to Hashem Barach, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit guide me over level ground. 
Ruchacha Tova means good spirit, but it also means good wind, good storm. Ruchacha Tova, numerical value, 256. Irma. So there's also something good that could come out of Irma. On one hand, we learn from the first one, where is it coming from? It's coming from God. Which God? The only God that's real. At the end of it, we know that, the second thing is we learn that it's here to punish some people, unfortunately. Some people that are going against Hashem. This is just a reality of life. You go against Hashem, Hashem has to get you to pay the bill at some point. It's just a reality of life. You can't continue going against Hashem forever thinking you're gonna, just going to have free coast forever. You're going to live till 120, you're going to be a multimillionaire, you're going to go to Olam Abba and enjoy Gan Eden. Not going to happen. So first and foremost, it comes from God. Second of all, punishment also comes from God. Last but not least, if you're a good Jew, if you're a good Gentile, don't worry, it's a good win for you. Why? You won't be affected, you'll find That's Irma in the Torah. Next. Good enough. Irma, still worried about Irma? If you're worried about Irma, it's because you have a mum in your kesher between you and Hashem. It's not because of Irma. How do I find out about Irma? The secret is, the secret is, the secret is, this Mishnah. I answer your question to this Mishnah. This Mishnah already knew your question before you knew it. What, is it. what does the Mishnah say? This Mishnah 4 6. And it says the following Rabbi Ishmael ben Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka, Omer, Alomet al Menat lelamed, Maspikin beadol il modu lelamed. Translation, Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka. Who's Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka? Last week's rabbi. Remember? Last week's Mishnah, it's Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka. What do we learn from Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka? Anyone does Chilul Hashem, in private, the punishment is to expose him. Hashem shows his sin in public. In Chilul Hashem, whether it's an it's a intentional sin or unintentional sin, in Shemaim, it's judged intentional. You can't joke around with Chilul Hashem. Anyone that didn't see that shiur we did in Miami last week, you must watch this shiur. It's number 60. Number 60, Mishnah Avot, number 60. Oh, here we go. So... That's Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka. His son comes to us right after him. Some say that these two Mishnayot are connected, but we're reading them separately, like it is in this book. And Rabbi Yochanan has a son, his name is Rabbi Ishmael. And Rabbi Ishmael says, whoever studies Torah in order to teach is given the means to study and to teach. Whoever studies Torah in order for him to teach it one day, they're going to help him in Shemaim to study and to teach. Simple enough. And whoever studies Torah in order to practice is given the means to study 
and to teach, to observe and to practice. So the first immediate question is, what's the difference between the two? First it says, whoever is here to study and teach, they're going to help him study and teach. The other one it says, whoever is here to practice, they're going to help him study, teach, practice, and do. And observe. What's the difference? What? You're telling me that the first guy is studying to teach, but he's not going to do? If he's studying to teach and he's not going to do, why are they even helping him at all? So, Rabbeinu Yonah explains, no, chas v'shalom, that's not what they're saying. What are they saying here? What is this Mishnah, first of all? The pshat, pshat, basic meaning of this Mishnah means the first guy, he's studying Torah. He's studying it just to enjoy it himself without delving into things because he's not really going to teach the public, go travel, go sacrifice his time, sacrifice his time with his family, sacrifice his own learning. He's not going to do any of that. He's going to teach whoever's next to him. His wife is next to him, he's going to teach her. His kids are next to him, he's going to teach them. If they're not next to him, he's not teaching anybody, he's teaching himself. Meaning he's selfish with his Torah. But it's okay. You're here to the world to learn Torah. In the book of Job, it says, Adam la'amal yulad. A person was brought to the world to be amal. What's amal? Work hard. So Chazal says, what do you mean work hard? Work hard with your mouth. What's work hard with your mouth? Learn Torah. That's what you came to the world to do. So if you're learning Torah, and you're going to teach whoever's next to you, your family, your friends, whoever it is, says they're going to help you. It's still a mitzvah, Baruch Hashem. And they're going to help you achieve that goal, as limited as it may be, they're still going to help you. In Shammai, Hashem Yitbar says, you're doing what you came to the world to do. What you're doing is you're teaching Torah. Because one of the worst things that a person can do is learn Torah and not teach. Keep it to himself. Why? In the Gemara, Masechet Avodah Zarah, page 17b. 17b. They say that a person that learns Torah without ever having an intention to teach anyone, just learning for himself, he's not going to write any books, he's not going to give any shurim, people ask him questions, he sends them away, go to this rabbi, go somewhere else, I won't bother my learning, I'm learning. You go learn yourself, you have your books, you have your this, you have your that, I'm learning, leave me alone. He came and he's learning Torah, he wants to be big Talmid Chacham. Wants to learn Torah day and night. Learns 50 hours a day. Says such a person is like a person who has no God. Wait a minute. You just told me, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos, said in the Gemara, you came to the world to learn Torah. So how could it be this guy is learning Torah day and night and you're telling me he doesn't have a God? He says because you learn Torah in order to fulfill it. You don't learn Torah just for intellectual aspect of it. Someone that just uses Torah for an intellectual stimulation, the Gemara says it was better off he didn't come to the world. Better off he died in his, in his mother's uterus. Such a person. Why? The Torah is supposed to teach you the midot, the character traits of Hashem Barach. The number one most obvious character trait that Hashem Barach has, he gives. He's gracious. So how could you learn Torah and not learn the first thing you need to learn about God. That He gives. 
you have the potion of life. Some chayim, the Torah says, Torah is a potion to life. How can you have the potion to life and not share it? What kind of person are you? That means you are very cheap, very stingy. And Mara says, Hashem hates stingy people. Stingy people with their Torah, stingy people with their money, stingy people with their time. He hates them. Why he hates them? They're the opposite of me. They're the opposite of Hashem Yitbarach, he says. So someone that has Torah, learns Torah, but has no intention whatsoever to ever teach it, to ever advertise it, to ever help anybody else with it, has no God. Meaning, he's learning Torah for himself. He's a selfish person. His Torah does not offer him any protection whatsoever. Why? Because he's not learning it to do it. He's learning it to just keep it for himself. This is Gemara. So now, this person is not a, such a person. This person over here, he's learning Torah. He's not going to go travel to Arizona, to Australia, to Israel, to Wisconsin, to California, to all these different places to go teach Torah. He's just going to teach whoever's next to him. He says, okay, he's still doing okay. And for him, we're going to give him Siyat where he's going to reach the goals that he set for himself. He didn't exactly set himself big goals. He set himself basic goals. Learn. Whatever you learn, teach whatever's next to you. He has, goes to a shiur Torah at his Bikneset. Bikneset has 12 people. Whoever wants to stay after tefillah to learn, three, four, five guys, he's going to teach them. He says, we're going to help him. Teach them. That's it. No more, no less. Why? He aimed low. We're going to help him what he wants. He wants this, that's what we're going to give him. Fine. The second person is doing something different. The second person is not learning purely for himself. He's learning for the sake of others. He's learning so he can teach others so they can do tshuva. So they can go, wake up out of their slumber, wake up out of their idolatry, wake up out of their foolishness, wake up out of their falsehood and come back to the truth, the single truth that exists in this world. Wake up and do tshuva. Leave your secular lifestyle. Leave your JCPenney. Leave your Islam. Leave your stupidity. Leave your falsehood. Leave your money. Leave everything. Come back to God. Anything that gets in the way between you and God, you must leave. If it's money, let money go. If it's a woman, let the woman go. If it's a man, let the man go. Whatever is getting in the way of you and Hashem, you must let it go. You must let it go. Now, it doesn't mean that every single person that uh, happens to be married to a person that's not in the same level of belief in them has to get a divorce tomorrow, chas v'shalom. The point here is that you are supposed to bring whoever is next to you with you. Don't be selfish and just go by yourself. Because that's like the first guy. Be like the second person. Help people. Come back to Hashem. So the second person here, he says, if his learning is not only for his own sake, if his learning is for other people's sake, if he's spending his extra time learning for other people, he's not. he wants to learn, let's say for example, Gemara, all day, all night. But he knows that he needs to learn about Musar, or about uh, certain Mishnayot, 
or certain alachot, uh, or certain things that are relevant to a certain type of students. So he doesn't really want to learn this part. He wants to learn something else. He's more passionate about something else. But you learn for them, we're going to help you succeed there. Why? Because you are emulating God. You're being gracious. So, the Khatam Sofer would uh, constantly talk about Kiruv. And one of the greatest examples is he says, we always talk about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu. But just to give you an understanding of the selflessness of Moshe Rabbeinu is that he begged Hashem to come into Eretz Yisrael, but Hashem said no. Hashem says no, no. But So he knew he's not going to Eretz Yisrael. He knew. But still he decided that he is going to determine the three cities of refuge. It was supposed, Hashem said, make six cities of refuge where someone that killed somebody else by, you know, accidentally can hide in one of those six cities. Three can be determined while you're here. Three can be determined once you enter Israel. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he can't fulfill the entire mitzvah. He can't fulfill the entire mitzvah. Chatam Sofer says, look at the Torah, he still determined three. He still decided three, meaning he was so excited about the mitzvot of Hashem that he said even to do a half of a mitzvah is good enough. Why? Because it's going to help the others. It's going to help the others. He wasn't a selfish person. The problem with helping others is that it takes away a big portion of your life, a big portion of your time. This is why the biggest schut goes to the wives of the people that teach Torah and get Am Yisrael to come back to Hashem. And the reason why is because they have to pretty much live without a husband. The kids have to live pretty much without a father. You ask any big Mezakeh Arabim, and tell them, what do you feel is the biggest sacrifice you have to make in order to do what you were doing? They'll tell you, family. What do you mean? You have kids, you have five kids, you have eight kids, you have this, you have that, you have a wife. What, what do you mean, sacrifice family? Because yeah, I have them, I just don't see them. Why? Because when you're actually effective at helping people come back to Hashem, the lecture is the least of what you do. Coming here, giving you a lecture, it's the smallest part of the job. Travel takes me, let's say, an hour to get here, an hour to get home. We do a lecture for two, three hours. We have questions for another hour. So figure the whole process is seven hours, let's say. This is the least of it. This is the least of the day. Why? There's 24 hours in a day. So this lecture today is seven hours, let's say, of my time. The other 10 to 12 hours are helping the neshamot that heard the lecture. What do you do now? Okay, I heard it. I believe it. I agree with it. Now what? My husband is beating me up. My kids are rotten. My boss is stealing. My this. What happens now? All the questions of, okay, now I know, now I heard, what do I do now? All the real work happens after the lecture. Hundreds of text messages, emails, all types of phone calls. The real work happens after the lecture. That's the part no one sees. 
That's the part that most people don't understand when they want to criticize a public speaker. Like, people love to criticize Rav Mizrahi. And they have no idea how much he has sacrificed for Am Yisrael. They make up all types of excuses, this, that, the other thing. They have no idea how much he sacrificed. I have a little bit of idea because I work with him on a regular basis. And also I do the same thing, just uh, for less time. They have no idea, no idea how much you have to sacrifice just to survive. Survive. With all the headaches, with all the balagan, with all the doubts, with all the uh, all different tests that you get. You think, what, I just, you just show up to a lecture, everything's okay, the car works, the gas is in, the uh, people wait for you, everyone loves everything you say, the computers work, the phone works, everything, everyone's like, oh, chazaku baruch, they give you brachot, they kiss your hand. If you understood the amount of kaparat avonot, you have to just go through for one day, one day, I'm not talking about the whole week, I'm not talking about the whole life, just the day of the lecture, the day of the lecture, you'd be scared. People always want me to do shurim v'genom and punishment and this and that. The reality of it is, dealing with the amount of stress and headaches to survive this, just one day, gets you scared enough that you don't even want to talk about genom. Why? He's like, this, this is just kaparot avonot, just to be righteous. Just to get Ami said to come back to Hashem. Imagine what it is to be wicked in front of Hashem. So, the Khatam Sofer was found by one of his students one time. And his student saw it, he said the story that uh, he saw his rabbi cry. So, Chatam Sofer, Zechet Tzadik, Gadosh Livacha, cry. He said, why are you crying? He said, I'm crying because I haven't spent time with my children, especially my son, Shimon. I haven't spent time with him that I don't even know where he stands with his recent studying. All the Torah he's studying. I don't know where he stands. If he knows it, he doesn't know it. If he's serious, not. I don't know where he's standing. I haven't spent time with my children, my own children. And I'm crying to Hashem to please, please help him. Because I don't have my own time anymore. My time does not belong to me anymore. He says, yes, Kvod Arav, you taught us this in Teilim. Teilim, David HaMelech says, Kol hayom chonenu malve vezaro livracha. In Teilim 37.26, King David says, All the days he graciously lends, and his children are a blessing. Now King David is not referring to a man who lends money. He says, All the days he graciously lends. He's not lending money. What is he lending? He's lending his Torah knowledge. He's lending his Torah knowledge to the people who do not have it. And because he's lending his Torah knowledge all day, all night, and his time no longer belongs to him, Hashem Baruch says, one of the blessings you get in this world is your kids will be blessed. You have no worries. So sometimes the teacher needs to be reminded by the student. So now, this Mishnah here is telling us something specific though. 
This Mishnah is telling us that there's a difference between the two people. First guy learns, he's going to teach. He's going to be on Torah anytime. He's going to be on this anytime and that anytime. He's going to have his own channel, his own website. Call it Emunah Center, call it Babke Center, call it whatever you want. But he's not going to dig deep down into the truth. And in reality, his Torah Shuim are going to be entertainment, but nothing else. People are attending a Shuim 20 years, no one does tshuva. You ever see any of those rabbis? They exist. Few. I coined a new name for them. This is the generation of the Care Bear rabbis. Why? They teach five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, forty years, million years. No one does anything. Everyone stays exactly the same. They just get old. Guy drove to Shabbat, drove on Shabbat to the Beknesset 25 years ago. He's still driving 25 years later. Nothing changed. There's one rabbi, calls himself a rabbi. He has a smicha and everything. Smicha, smicha in Hebrew is also a cover, blanket. So I think he has a blanket, not the two, but whatever. Let's say he has a smicha. He has students 15 years. 15 years he's teaching the same group of Israeli guys. 15 years they're all still driving. To this day, to his Beknesset on Shabbat. To such an extent that he made up a new law. He says, no, no, I heard it. I heard it from the head rabbi of Israel that you're allowed to drive on Shabbat. Now, he's created a new law. Why did he create a new law? Because after 15 years, he realized this shita that he's using, this care bear shita of not telling people the truth, doesn't work. So what happens? I can't tell them now after 15 years. I like them. They're my friends now. So I can't start rebuking my friends. So what is it? We invent a new law. He invents a new law. So what happens? So he, can, he doesn't have to feel bad about himself. So he continues to teach them every, every day. They come to Shurim. Every week they come to Shurim. They still drive on Shabbat. And they're going to continue driving on Shabbat until somebody else tells them the truth. And they actually take it. One time somebody did tell them the truth. Some people wanted to change. What did he tell them? Don't listen. Don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. What does a Care Bear Rabbi get? A Care Bear Rabbi, it says in the Gemara, Gemara Masechet Shabbat, Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah, Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, and several other places. Also Gemara Roshanah. Someone who had knowledge of a sin that someone else was doing in their immediate life, his wife, husband, kids, friend, neighbor, student, part of a community, part of a shul, someone you were connected to. If you were a simple person and you did not tell them the truth, let's say they drive on Shabbat, they smoke cigarettes on Shabbat, they violate Shabbat, you didn't tell them the truth, in Shemaim they get karet, they get judged as an idol worshiper and lose their olam haba, but so do you. Why? You're both considered mechalel Shabbat. You're both considered, but the guy kept Shabbat himself. Doesn't matter. In Shemaim, you're considered mechalel Shabbat. 
Why? It was within your power to tell him the truth. If you told him the truth and he still didn't listen, that's a different story. But if you didn't tell him, you're judged for his sin. This we learn from Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. They say, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, one of the giants of all of the generations, they said if you put all of the Chachamim, all of the Chachamim in one hand, and Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah in the other hand, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah is bigger than all of them. Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, they said, he made a big sin because of his cow. Gemara Masechet Shabbat says because of his cow, he made a big sin. Cow? What do you mean big cow? He had one cow? Because no, it's a one cow. You know how rich he was. Remember I told you how rich he was. He was a billionaire. He would give his maser. His maser was 120,000 cows a year. Maser, that was his 10%. That was his income. His income, 10% of his income, he'd give 120,000 cows. So he said, why, what's this one cow? Well, he had one cow. He had millions of cows. Yes, he got judged for the one cow. Why the one cow? Because it really wasn't his cow. What do you mean it wasn't his cow? It was his neighbor's cow. His neighbor had a cow, a woman, nice woman, nice lady, covered her hair and everything. Covered her hair, was modest, nice lady. But she didn't know all the Shabbat, Miskina. She didn't know all the Shabbat. So the cow, she left some of the things on top of the cow. So the cow was carrying on Shabbat. And just like you're not allowed to carry on Shabbat unless there's a Yeruv, your animal is also not allowed to carry. Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah saw that her cow was violating Shabbat. He didn't say anything. Why? He felt bad. It's a woman. Miskenas. Nice lady. Sweet lady. What am I going to tell her? Somebody else tell her. He says, Rabbi Lazar, you considered you mechalel Shabbat one time. Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah mechalel Shabbat. Say, it's your cow. Why it's your cow? It's not my cow. It's our cow. No. You knew. It's your cow now. So Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, when he heard this from the Chachamim, the rest of his life, he spent doing tshuva for this one sin. rest of his life. For one sin he made, rest of his life he fasted. Ta'anit dibul, ta'anit everything, for one sin. What? For not even his cow. He said, no, no, it's his cow. Why it's his cow? He saw the sin, didn't say nothing, it's his cow. You saw someone drive on Shabbat, your friend, your buddy, your neighbor, your someone in your keilah, you didn't say nothing, it's your cow. It's your sin. Needless to say, the rabbi that's teaching people, but not teaching them the truth. He's teaching them nice things. He's teaching them the nice stories. The care bear went from the sky with a little flying car, and he said, and he's, what are you teaching them? Now here's a proof. You could test, test whether your rabbi is a care bear rabbi. It's a test. Test. You could test it this week. This week, test it. How you test it? Parashat Shavua. Parashat Shavua. Parashat Kitavo. Parashat Kitavo. Parashat Kitavo. Parashat Kitavo. Parashat Kitavo. Scariest parashat in the entire Torah. Scariest parashat in the entire Torah. I connected this parashat. Not because I like to be scary. But because I saw many of the promises that Hashem Barach says, when you don't listen to him, I saw him come true in my life. I did a shiur a couple of years ago, number 45, Torah, uh, Torah, shiur Torah number 45. 
talks about my own personal experience, and I go through this parasha. I think it's the first time I said my personal story. And I go through pasuk after pasuk, showing how I went through many of the things it says in this parasha. So parashat Kitavo, there's two parashot in the Torah that talk about an extraordinary amount of curses and punishment that Hashem Barach promises for not listening to Him. The first one is Parashat Bechukotai, my laws in English, and the other one is Kitavo. The first one, Bechukotai, we heard a few months ago, that's Hashem Barach, 49 curses for violating his word, treating him like you treat your friends, with casualness, not taking him seriously, and there's five levels of punishment, 49 different curses, ending with Hashem getting to a point of getting to such starvation that Am Yisrael would have to eat their children. This is in Parashat Bechukotai. Parashat Kitavo is Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, to 26, 27, 28, gives 98 curses. 98. Double the amount of what Hashem said. Double. So Chazal says, this is the difference between the mercy of man versus the mercy of Hashem Barach. Because as much as Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Kodesh Kodeshim, prophet of all prophets, giant of all giants, the biggest Chacham in history, the biggest Tzaddik in history, Eved Hashem, slave of Hashem, servant of Hashem, had no personal wants, desires, nothing, canceled his life, canceled his marriage for Hashem. Hashem Barach gives him a description. Moshe Avdi. Moses, my servant. No one else is described to such level as Moses. Why? Moses is the top of the top. At the same token, known as the humblest of all men. So while being the giant of all giants, he still knew where he stood. He knew that he was a giant. He knew that he spoke to God face to face. He had to write it. He knew he was the prophet of all prophets. He had to write it in the Torah. He knew he was the biggest chacham. He wrote it in the Torah. He knew no one is ever going to be like Moshe Rabbeinu. He wrote it in the Torah. But still he knew where it came from. And remained the humblest man of all time. He loved Am Yisrael. Loved them. He sacrificed his life day after day for them. But yet here, he gives them 98 curses, double the amount of Hashem. Instead of mentioning once about the worst punishment of getting into such starvation, of eating the children, he mentions it no less than three times. Gives details, horrible, horrifying details. Which Chazal says, all came true. All of them came true during the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. All of them came true several times throughout history. And in last year's Tisha B'Av, we showed how it actually came true even during the Holocaust. 
Now in this parasha, in the beginning he talks about some blessings. Seven times he says, fulfill my mitzvot. Hashem says, Ayom Says, today, God, your Lord, commands you to obey all these rules and laws. You must carefully keep them with all your heart and with all your soul. Not some of the rules, all the rules. Very next verse, it says, Says here, today you have pledged. He tells all of Ami said, today is the day you've pledged. What do you mean you've pledged? You pledged allegiance to, to God, making Him your God, and promising to walk in His path, to keep all His decrees, not just whatever you feel like it. All of them. Tzitzit, Tfilin, Shabbat, Tarat Mishpacha, Modesty, everything. Not just what you feel like it. No, I'm hot, I don't want to wear Tzitzit. No, no, my head is hot, I don't want to cover my head. No, no, my feet are hot, I want to walk, you know, with no shoes. No, 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 my, my, my brain is full, I don't want to learn any more Torah. I remember, when I was a kid, I used to work out. And... Uh, Every time you see these people start coming to the gym and uh, they'll tell me, yeah, I want to start working out. I'm going to start doing this, start doing that. But I don't want to be too big. I don't want to get too big. And I look at them and the guys that are worrying about being too big are usually like 30 pounds, like tiny little scrawny little kids. It's like, I don't want to be too big. I'm like, first you have to become like a healthy human being. Then worry about being big. First add some meat. Don't worry about being big. What are you worried? You know how long it takes to be big? Big muscular. What do you think? You should go to the gym for a week and become uh, Hercules. So it's like this in Torah. Somebody does, you know, starts keeping Shabbat. He's like, no, I don't want to become too much Haredi, too, too religious. What too religious? You just kept one Shabbat. Do you, even, do you even know if you kept Shabbat? If you're not studying from the books of Torah, you're not learning all the Alachot Shabbat, you didn't even keep the Shabbat 100%. Why? You violated at least five, six times. Why? Because if you don't know all halachot Shabbat, you're definitely violating Shabbat. One example we talked about is someone in Shabbat, you can't use dishwasher. So what do you do? You wash dishes. Wash dishes. Most people wash dishes on Shabbat. Washing dishes is one of the most common ways people violate Shabbat every week. Why? They use a sponge like they use for the regular week. Sponge for the regular week. They have one for dairy. They have one for meat. They figure, this is kosher, this is kosher. I'm continuing the same thing. No, my friend, you're making a mistake. Why? The sponge you have for the regular week can retain water. Once you squeeze that sponge, you are violating Shabbat. Meaning the sponge that you use for Shabbat cannot be a sponge at all. It has to be a net. It cannot retain water at all. If it retains water, you're violating Shabbat. Sochet. You didn't learn learn Alachot Shabbat. You're violating Shabbat. So, someone just started keeping Shabbat. And not only because too religious, too religious. What too religious? Just learn the basics. Basics. Learn. So, Moshe Rabbeinu, 
second time says, you made a promise to Hashem to walk in His path, to keep all of His decrees, His commandments, His laws, obey His voice. Emulate His ways. What does it mean, go His ways? Be merciful, be graceful, be righteous, be holy. It's major midot that Hashem has. Without learning Torah, and knowing how to do these four things, there's no way that you are holy. There's no way that you're righteous. There's no way that you're gracious. And there's no way that you're merciful. How do we know? Because someone can consider themselves merciful because they like pets. They like pets. They're merciful on pets. They see a stray dog. They save the stray dog. This is very nice. Chazakubo for saving the stray dog. But you have to be more merciful for human beings. If all your extra money is going to save dogs while there's homeless people around you, there's people that don't have food to have kiddush, there's people that can't afford to send their kids to yeshiva, and you're worried about the dogs, the cats, and the, and the, and the bunnies, you're not merciful. You actually are no different than the Nazis. The Nazis, by the way, so you know, the Nazis treated their pets, especially dogs, with the utmost respect. They love their dogs. But while they're sending all the human beings to the gas chambers, they would tell them thank you. Every time they go in the gas chamber, they tell the guy thank you for going in. They had manners, but it's fake manners. It's not real manners. Why? Because all the mercy they had went to the wrong place. It went to the dogs. I'm not saying you should kill dogs. You're not allowed. There's also, you have to have mercy for dogs, but it does not supersede humans. If you don't learn Torah, you're not going to do it. People think they're gracious. They give, they give, they give. What do they give? They give money to the zoo. They give money to the Red Cross. They give money to all types of shtuyot when there's Jews that don't even know Shema Yisrael. There are millions of Jews who do not know Shema Yisrael and you think that you're doing okay by donating money to the biblical zoo. There's a uh, zoo of Noah in Israel. Some rich couple donated $400,000, which is a fortune in Israel. It's like, I don't know, $5 million in America. $400,000 for what? To build a gate for the new elephant in the biblical zoo of Noah in Israel. Ilui nishmat, to raise the soul of someone that died. The, the, the gate for the, for the elephant is they think in their little tiny brain that this is somehow going to help some neshama in Shemaim. That neshama is cursing them out right now. This is what you did? 400, you know how many souls you can save? To come back to Hashem to do tshuva with $400,000? You spent it on an elephant? The elephant even knew. The elephant was saying, what are you doing? Go help you, give us some CDs. This is the craziness that we live in today. So if you're gracious without Torah, you're not gracious at all. You're gracious in the wrong places. Righteous? Impossible to be righteous without learning Torah. Why? You need to know the instructions of how to be righteous.
holy. Hashem says, you must be holy because I am holy. How can you be holy if you can't watch your eyes? How can you be holy if you're not watching your brit? How? I'm going to give you a chidush I had last night, thanks to you. Your merit, I had a chidush about Kama Brit. In this parasha, talks about it. Parasha says, chapter 28, verse 49 and 50. It says, God will bring, this is during the section of the punishments. It says, God will bring upon you a nation from afar. From the end of the earth, it will swoop down like an eagle. This will be a nation whose language you do not understand, an arrogant nation which has no respect for the old and no mercy for the young. In Midrash Echa, it talks about how this nation, this pasuk, this uh, verse, was a prophecy of the evil Roman Empire that was represented, similar to the Nazis, Imach Shimam Vizichram, were represented by the eagle, it's in the verse. They're going to swoop down like an eagle. So you have here the eagle. On top of it, they were a very arrogant nation. They had spoke a different language. And actually, if you look at history, before the Roman Empire, Imach Shimam Vizicham, decided to go attack Israel, they're nowhere to be found in the history books. No one cared about the Roman Empire. No one cared about the Greek Empire. No one cared about the Turkish Empire. No one cared about any empire until they decided to go attack Am Yisrael. All of the empires, all of the civilizations, all of them, only became known once they decided to go against Am Yisrael. This is a historical fact. This is not my opinion. It's a historical fact. Why? Hashem created the enemy for you. Because the enemy is also a tool to wake us up. So here in this verse, he says this enemy, it's a prophecy of the Roman Empire. It's a prophecy also of the Nazis. They spoke a language you never heard of before and so on. An arrogant nation has no respect to the old, no respect to the young. There's many, many stories of how the Romans went to specific towns full of little kids, little Jewish kids, and just started stabbing them with their own pens just to kill them. Eventually they got impatient and not dying fast enough, so they started wrapping them in Sifret Torah and burning them. The, the viciousness of these people was, was unprecedented. The Nazis of 70 years ago, no different. To be continued. Let's continue the Chidush. So now, the very next part, after this, where Hashem says He's going to create a specific enemy, just as a punishment, Hashem Yilachem, He also says, He starts talking about, Moshe Rabbeinu starts talking about how the worst level of all the punishment. What's the worst level of all the punishment? Hashem Yilachem, the nation will get to such starvation, they start eating their own children. He says, you will then eat the fruit of your womb. 
when your enemies besiege you and provoke you to a desperation, you will eat the flesh of your sons and daughters, in case you didn't understand the first time. He said it again. Which God has granted you. Then later on he says, there's the, um, the most tender-hearted and dainty among you. The ones that look like a well-mannered, tzaddikim, nice, everything was great. Will begrudge their brother, their beloved wife, their surviving children, not giving them the flesh of their children, which he's eating. Meaning, even that you're eating the kids, you're not going to share it with everybody. You're going to fight over the meat. And then it ends. It says, the most pampered and delicate woman, the one that's no one thinks she could kill a fly, she secretly eats the afterbirth that comes out from between her legs and the infant she has born. If you understand what's going on here, this by itself should make you do full tshuva. You become Moshe Rabbeinu, Sarah Imenu, Avraham Avinu, and Yitzchak, all together. Just understand what's happening here. But this is right after, this is right after, he says he's going to create an enemy for you. For not following what he says. What's the chidush? This is all pshat. This is not my translation. This is pshat. This is basic. You read the parasha. This is what it reads. There's no two ways. One way to translate it. What's the chidush? You're connecting the enemy, Roman Empire, to children. Punishments on children. Hashem Rachem. If you look at history... You see that the Roman Empire had an emperor by the name of Trajan. T-R-A-J-A-N. Trajan had a kid. And the day he had a kid was Tisha B'Av, which happened to be a day that Am Yisrael mourns. We mourn. Already since Moshe Rabbeinu, we've been mourning Tisha B'Av. So, and the kid, this baby, died on Hanukkah which is a day we celebrate. So one of these evil Romans came to Trajan's wife and says, look, these Jews, they mourned on the day your son was born and they celebrated on the day your son died. She took this as a personal offense. She told Trajan, the emperor, sends him six hard dog on Am Yisrael and we have problems. Tzedah, Hashem created an enemy from nothing. We're not celebrating because of her. We're not mourning because of her. But Hashem created an enemy because we did something wrong. And his name was Trajan. So far, so good. It's 2,000 years ago. So far, so good. Does Hashem understand the full Hidush? Trajan... Spelled T-R-A-J-A-N. If you take out the second A, the way you draw an A, I wanted to draw it before I didn't have chance, I didn't have time. You take out the A, the way you draw it in English, you turn it upside down. It looks like a circle with a line. Remind you of seed, the way seed looks like, sperm looks like under a microscope, a circle and a line. 
When someone wastes seed, what do they have? Nothing left. So you remove that line. What does it become? A zero. An O. You put that O back in Trajan. Now you have Trojan. The number one condom company in the world. The number one facilitator of wasting seed in the world. What's Trojan's logo? A Roman helmet. A Roman helmet. That's the logo of Trojan, the condom company. You think this is a coincidence? That they connected the parasha, they connected the verse that talks about Hashem created an enemy with punishment on kids? No, my friends. You waste seed, that's what the Gemara says is the punishment. That's what the Gemara says is the punishment. You want to waste seed? You want to kill children that you haven't seen? Well, kill children that you will see. Who? You're going to do it. With your own action. So now, you have another understanding of how Hashem connects everything. Everything is in the Torah. Everything and anything that's any good in the, in the world must have a source in the Torah. Must. Whether it's a company that makes condoms, or it's a company that makes drinks, or it's a company that makes Coca-Cola, or it's a company, or it's a business, or it's a person, or it's a maaseh, whatever. Everything and anything that's of any value, significance, must have a source in the Torah. Must. Even a saying. Now here you have a very, very scary parasha where what I just said is only a small part of it. What I just said is only a small part of this parasha. Small, tiny. The amount of curses that's talked about in this parasha, Baruch Hashem, I studied it last night. It's very scary. Couldn't sleep. Could not sleep. If you understand what it says here, could not sleep. One of the scariest things that I saw in this parasha was that Hashem said that one of the curses, chapter 28, verse 32, Your sons and your daughters will be given to a foreign nation. You will see it happening with your own eyes and will long for them all day long, but you will be powerless to help them. So the basic pshat is that parents will see their kids taken away by different nation. Targum Yonatan says, no, no, we're not talking about kidnapping the kids. This is somewhere else in the parasha. What is it? What does it mean? Targum Yonatan says, no, this is the punishment. The curse here is a parent seeing their kid become chiloni, become secular. That's actually one of the curses in the Torah. Becoming secular is one of the curses in the Torah. Different part of the curses. This is not the specific one. So here, you see that to be secular is not exactly a blessing like the secular people think. Why is it not, not a blessing? 
Because when you're secular, when you're atheist, when you believe in a limited God, then in essence you can live 70, 80, 90, 120 years before you found out you lived a purposeless life. You lived a whole life with no point. Why? The end is miserable. You worked your whole life to make money. So all the money you made, you leave behind. You can't take it with you. You worked your whole life to raise kids. As soon as they got married, they stopped calling you. You worked your whole life to be married. You were married six times. You worked your whole life to be successful. You didn't reach it. And even if you did, you realize it's not as meaningful as you thought before you became successful. Do you think Steve Jobs cared about his $7 billion he had in the bank when he couldn't find a liver to replace the liver that was full of cancer? No. You know why he didn't care about his job anymore? Because he was dying. And the $7 billion he had couldn't buy a new liver. He couldn't buy a new liver. So you could live a full life thinking you're going in the right direction before you realize, wow, this whole time I thought I was going in the right direction and I only realized it's the wrong one after it was too late. I can't fix it anymore. Here in this parasha, it says many, many scary, scary things. But we're not going to go over all of them. I think we already went over enough. The point I'm trying to make is that there's no way to minimize the scariness, the horror that's written in this week's parasha. No way. To make anything positive, to visualize this in a positive way, is being intellectually dishonest. Why? Because the overwhelming majority of the parasha is curses. Overwhelming majority of the parasha is Hashem saying, you don't do it, I will punish you. Why? That's the deal. Everyone that goes to work knows. If you work hard, you get paid. You don't work hard, you get fired. You run a business, you know you need to have employees. You delegate to them. Why? They need to do things for you. You can't do everything yourself. But in order for them to work for you, they must have rules. If they follow the rules, they get a promotion. They follow the rules, they keep their job. They don't follow the rules, they get fired. You get married, you need to have rules. You do this, she does this. She does this, you do this. If she does something that's against the marriage, you're not going to stay. If you do something against the marriage, she's not going to stay. Marriage must have rules. Childbearing must have rules. School must have rules. Traffic has rules. You don't want to follow the traffic rules. It doesn't matter whether you want to or not. You don't follow it, you get fined. You can go to jail. Whether you like the government or not is irrelevant. You still have to pay taxes. There are rules for making money. There are rules for how to spend your money. You can't just buy whatever you want. You can't just finish your day and decide to go buy crack. I'm sorry. Even though it's your money, you can't do it. It's illegal. 
There are rules of how you can use your money. There are rules of how you can use your time. You can't use your time selling drugs. You can't. It's illegal. Even though it's your time, it's really not. So the government that you're under also has rules. The marriage you're in or will be in has rules. The job, the company you're in has rules. Everything has rules. You follow, good. You don't follow, penalty. So what makes you think God doesn't have rules? Who told you God doesn't have rules? Why does everyone else have rules except the king of all kings? The only one that should have rules is the king of all kings. Yet he's the only one no one wants to listen to. What makes you think he doesn't have rules? The point I'm trying to make is this parasha is the wake-up call. It's always read two weeks before Rosh Hashanah, before Judgment Day. There are two reasons for that. One, so we get all the curses behind us and start off the year fresh with blessings. The second reason is, it's your last chance to do tshuva. So Hashem is reminding you of the punishment. Hashem is reminding you of the consequences of not listening to Him. Not listening to His rules. The consequences of not following through. And He mentions it 13 times in this parasha. 13 times, it says, 13 verses, it says, Follow my commandments. 13 times. One time would have been enough. He says it 13 times. Why 13 times? Chidush of the day. Man is obligated to start following mitzvot at age 13. Everything is connected. Everything is from Hashem Barach. So how do you know if your rabbi is a care bear rabbi or a real rabbi? A real rabbi will tell you about these rules. A real rabbi will tell you about the consequences of not following the rules. A real rabbi will not look for a way out with some fancy schmancy stories that make you feel better about yourself so you could stay the same. A real rabbi will follow what God said and say, hey, by the way, guys, this is very scary. This is very scary. If we don't follow him, we have a bill to pay. And I don't have the money. All of the things I said to you today, I didn't know. Before today. This is what this Mishnah. This is what this Mishnah says. Mishnah says if you go out there with an intention to teach, to learn, to do, to fulfill the ultimate purpose of the world, the ultimate purpose of why Hashem Barach created you, He'll give you siyat edishmaya. He'll give you knowledge that you don't have. He'll give you chidushim that don't exist. He'll give you knowledge that people that have learned ten times more than you did not attain. Why? Because you're doing it for Am Yisrael. You're not doing it for yourself. There's no other benefit. There's headaches. No benefit. Headaches, sleepless nights, less time with family. But then you get the benefits. What's the benefits? Amazing stories. I'm going to tell you a few amazing stories that keep me going. 
recent stories, life. Old stories you already heard. Baruch Hashem, there are new stories every day. Every day there's new stories. Once in a while there's a story that stands out. So one guy from sends me a uh, mail, Nathanel. Nathanel says, Hi Rabbi, is there a chance that you can make the Shabbat video with Hebrew subtitles? You know, the movie we made, but Shabbat, 17 minutes, very popular, Baruch Hashem. He's asking if it's in English, he says, can we make it in Hebrew subtitles? I'm on a group chat full of different types of Jewish backgrounds. I don't really know exactly who keeps, but there are for sure people on that chat that don't know any of this. I would want to reach out to them because they wouldn't see it anywhere else. Those 17 minutes, you're not going to find what it says there anywhere else, according to Nathanael. No pressure. I appreciate it, Rabbi. You helped a couple of my friends start keeping Shabbat after they watched it. So already we know a couple means two. Maybe it means more. All I know is Nathanael just told me there are two new Jews in Am Yisrael. Why? Before they kept Shabbat, the Maraz says, the Shulchan Aruch says, the Zohar says, all of Chazal says, someone that's a Jew doesn't keep Shabbat, considered 100% idol worshiper. According to Nathanael, Baruch Hashem, we have at least two new Jews that removed their idolatry, removed their suspension, their Judaism that was on suspension, removed that suspension. They became a part of Am Yisrael. For what? A 17-minute video. But then there's another story. 20, almost 30 years ago, we came to America. And as kids, you know, we had friends that would come to the house. One of the guys, his name was Lior. Leo, nice guy, his friend was older than me, so his friends, it was always nice to me. He was more friends and, you know, hang out more with my older brothers. And uh, kept in touch with the family here and there, but I haven't talked to him in many years. A week ago, Leo sends me a text on Facebook with a uh, picture of a communication that he had with somebody else by the name of Martin. And Martin is a Marine. He's in the Marines. He's in battle. He's in the middle of nowhere somewhere, trying to protect the country he lives in. And he's a Jew. And Martin is in touch with Leo because they used to work together. He used to work for Leo. And he mentions, Martin mentions me to him. He says, this rabbi is changing my life. And Leo says, I know him. Comes from a great family. Ta-ta-ta, gives me all these wonderful compliments. And Martin says the following. Wow, I can't believe you know him. He's changing my life. I don't know what he does personally, whether he's dedicated to what he's doing here or does other things.
Rabbi Yehuda Magnus says that the duty of every Jew is to help those that need help, to feed those who are hungry and provide water to those who are thirsty and shelter to those who are naked. This is the devotion that our text demands. I like Rabbi Yaron Reuven because he's truly a scholar, he's subject, his subject matter, he's a subject matter expert and he breaks it down unfiltered like a reality show. God bless his work. I'll be honored to meet him. His speeches are outstanding. I'm not reading this for you guys to hear compliments about me. I'm reading this for actual purpose. He says, you see how God puts people together. You have no idea how this rabbi made me feel better. I was depressed. I felt depressed. And he just validated every single thing that I ever thought. Later on, here says, I want to write him a letter, and he's nervous to write me a letter, and eventually he did. He says, I want to write him how he inspired me, a complete stranger, just a Marine, living far, far away, yet he is closer to me than the rabbi down the block. So this Marine that's protecting his country, protecting his people got into a depression I don't blame him if I was in the middle of some desert fighting people that are willing to die I would be depressed in two seconds but somehow in the middle of the desert somehow in the middle of nowhere he found God he found out that God is serious he found out that God wants something more from him and he found out that this God expects him to do things And once he realized that this God expects him to do things, he started understanding the reasons for some of his problems, the reasons for some of his depressions, and that actually got him out of depression. That got him more fit to protect his people. That got him more fit to protect his own life, his own soldiers that are right next to him. And Ishtabach Shimon Ad somehow had something to do with it. This is what this Mishnah is about. You teach people to get them to reality. Not to some falsehood, care-bear world where everyone's tzaddik, everyone is righteous, everyone is wonderful, everyone is great. That's nonsense. That is not reality. That is not reality. The Gemara says, in order for someone to attain Olam Abba, you must know it requires an extraordinary amount of Mesirut Nefesh. No Mesirut Nefesh, no self-sacrifice, no Olam Abba. There's no other way. You cannot attain Gan Eden because you think you're a nice person. When you're surrounded by nations that are idol-worshipping, Our Torah tells us that you cannot do anything that the Goyim are doing. If you came from one of those nations and now you became a Jew, part of you becoming a Jew is to separate yourself from idolatry. Part of you becoming a Jew is for you to adopt Jewish customs. This doesn't mean you have to avoid all previous customs. You only have to avoid all customs that are specifically connected to idol worship. 
specifically against the Torah, whether it be music, or it be dancing, or it be doing anything else in particular. When you live among a nation of 400 million goyim, this becomes difficult, both in the personal life and in the uh, business life. Well, that's the part of being chosen. You can't say I'm a diamond that's flawless, 100 carats, decolor, and price yourself like a cubic zirconium. Can't be. You want to be chosen? Act like it. You can't hang out with people that are not chosen. You can do business, but business is where it ends. Doesn't mean you're allowed to go to their restaurants. You don't need to do business in a restaurant. You could do it in an office. There's such a thing. You cannot go to a non-kosher restaurant thinking that it's okay. Because it's business. It's not okay. Why? It's Chilul Hashem. You wear your kippah, or if someone knows you're Jewish, they see you in a restaurant, they don't know you're not eating. They think you're eating. Ah, look, this is another fake Jew. He wears his kippah, she wears a kisulash, but she's in a non-kosher restaurant like the rest of us. See, it's all fake. That, my friends, is Chilul Hashem. We learned about it last week, Shiul number 60. Chilul Hashem, accidental. Or on purpose, either way, in Shemaim, Rosh Hashanah, judged unfavorably. Judged intentional. Chilul Hashem, biggest sin in the Torah. Why? You want to do business. Who gave you business? Who gave you money? So using the business and the money he gave you against him? And then people wonder why we get punished. So, associating with idol worshippers, again, you have to keep it to a limit. If it's business and you're only talking business, it's one thing. If they start talking to you about their idolatry, run. Run. The last thing is in regards to studying. Someone asked this question about studying Torah. We said that in order for a person to do full tshuva, they must study Torah. So the question is, what's more important? To study Gemara at home, you're a new Baal tshuva. You started doing tshuva, you're a new convert, you're new. Five years, ten years, that's still new by the way. New doesn't mean six months. New is still five, ten years, you're still new. And you want to study Gemara at home. You want to study some book at home. Or you want to go to a lecture. What do you do? That depends. What's the lecture? If it's a Care Bear Rabbi, you're not allowed to attend even when you're not studying. Why? Because the Care Bear Rabbi is also Amalek. In last week's parasha, at the end of the parasha, Hashem said He commanded us as a commandment that will last until Mashiach. He says you must destroy the memory of Amalek. You must destroy the memory of Amalek. Why did He say you must destroy Amalek? Why did He say the memory of Amalek? Because Amalek, the memory of Amalek is beyond Amalek. It's more than just a people. It's an idea. 
Amalek, the people, we don't know them. We don't know who they are anymore. We know it's the Nazis, but Nazis are 70 years ago. We know it's the Romans, but the Romans are 2,000 years ago. We know it's a bunch of different, but we don't know for sure. If we knew for sure who's Amalek, we have to kill them. But we don't know anymore. But the memory of Amalek, we know. Why? It's anti-Torah. It's anti-Torah. Finish this point, then I'll answer your question. It's anti-Torah. It's things that not necessarily people are saying that there is no God. That's not necessarily just anti-Torah. That's stupidity. Anti-Torah means saying things that are just nonsense. Saying that if your wife doesn't feel like going to the mikveh, you could still be with her, like some idiot said, who calls himself a rabbi. Saying that if your wife wants to go to the beach with a bunch of other naked people, you should take her. It's a mitzvah, even if it's on Shabbat. Like the same idiot said. Or telling people, you're all tzaddikim because you're Jewish. You're all great and Hashem loves you because you love the Rebbe. Or because you go to Uman. Or because you uh, read Tehillim uh, 500 times a day. That does not make you righteous, my friends. What makes you righteous is following the law. There's a law, follow it. Part of that law is fixing your midot. Fixing your character traits. The Gaon Mivilna, in Igeret Agra, a letter he wrote his wife and children when he went to Israel. Now, in those days, not like today, you go on a plane, a few hours later, you're somewhere else. In those days, you may not survive the travel. So he wrote them a letter, instructions of what to do. It's an amazing letter, you should read it at least once a week. Four or five pages, you should read it at least once a week. If you don't have it, I'll send it to you. You get it online for free. English, Hebrew, whatever. Igeret Agra, it's called. The Gaon Mivilna. Kodesh Kodeshim. Writes to his wife, Musar. He says, My dear wife, if the children curse, say Lashonara, cannot protect their mouth, they're not watching their mouth, hit them. Hit them. Gaon Mivilna. Hit kids. This is the Musariah teaching? I need you to tell me to hit the kids? That's what you're teaching? Every mother knows the kid acts up. You slap him. And maybe at least the previous generation. Today they give him a uh, award. Previous generation. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, we did something. Through a shoe would follow you wherever you are. In the air. You mouth it off to Ima. You mouth it off to Abba. A shoe is following you. Around the corner. Pop, right in the head. Why? Don't mouth off to Ima and Abba. Don't mouth off to Grandma. Don't, don't, don't. Who do you think you are, you little five little peon? You have to behave. You can't curse. You can't scream. You can't act like a zoo animal like today. Today, what do they do? The kids beat up the parents. So in the previous generation, still when I'm a little older than most of you, in that generation, we still got a shoe. Today, you get a uh, reward. So the Gaon Mivilna says to his wife, if they can't watch their mouth, hit them. This is what you have to write there? She doesn't need you to tell reminder this. At the end of the letter he says, some people, if you teach them some musal, they listen, it touches their neshama, they do chuba. You teach them, you remind them what their neshama already knows. 
you remind them, like the Ramchal says in the beginning, the introduction letter to his famous book, Mesilat Yesharim, Path of the Just. He says, I'm reminding you of things you already know. It's all Chidushim, by the way. We don't know anything. But in this generation, maybe they know. We know nothing. He says, I'm reminding you of things you know. Vilna Gaon says, some people, you tell them Musar, you tell them how to behave, you're reminding them of something they already know, they do tshuva. Oh, I didn't know I shouldn't be angry. Oh, I didn't know I shouldn't yell. Oh, I didn't know I shouldn't be stingy. Oh, I didn't know that I should do all these things. I didn't know. You remind them. They come to a lecture, they hear it, no problem. He says, but some people have made so many sins that the klipa has become a stone around their heart. Their heart has become uncircumcised, like a stone. And the only way you can get the water out of the stone is by hitting it. This is why I told you to hit the kids. Because if they're cursing, that means that their hearts are made of stone. Hashem Barach wrote in Parashat Kitavo the same thing he wrote in Parashat Bechukotai, but doubled it up. He doubled the ante. Why? If you didn't get it by the first Parashat when there was 49 crazy, insane curses that should scare any human being to be the biggest tzaddik in history, you didn't get it in Parashat Bechukotai, you are a stone. I must hit you harder. If the Care Bear Rabbi is not telling you these things, you're not allowed to go. But if you have a Rabbi or someone trying to be telling you what Hashem said, it's much more important than you studying by yourself. It doesn't matter if you're studying Zohar by yourself. It doesn't matter if you're studying Gemara by yourself. It doesn't matter if you're studying anything by yourself. Why? Because at the Shiul, you get fire. At the Shiul, you get woken up. Whereas in your personal study, maybe you're going to have the TV in the background, maybe you're going to have a little bamba in the background, maybe you're going to fall asleep. Maybe you're going to relax. Maybe you're on the couch. Maybe you're having a conversation on the side. Maybe you're going to smoke a few cigarettes. It's comfortable. It's home. It's, ah, it's okay. Fine. Ah, no. no fire. No fire. No siyati dishmaya. You're by yourself with one book. You have one book. Whatever what book it is. By yourself. You're not doing tshuva by yourself, my friend. You can't do tshuva by yourself. Why? Because this Mishnah says you can't. There's no siyat dishmaya for you being by yourself. You want to do tshuva, you come to Shul Torah. Any questions? Yeah. You said that we don't know who Amalek is. Yes. Many times, uh, I've heard, and it's certainly a sense that I get from all that they're doing, that Right, but we don't know. But but what I'm trying to ask is, you know, terrible, terrible things have, have fallen to me, have been happening in Syria, and now 
now they're coming closer to uh, uh, the Gvul of Eretz Israel. Mm-hmm. And obviously this Putin, the successor to the Eastern Roman Empire, we cannot depend on anything he says. Mm-hmm. And now Trump goes back on all the promises that he made and really it begins to seem as if he was a very good it says the prophet Jeremiah, someone that trusts you in being gets cursed, special curse in Shemaim. Why he gets special curse? Why he trusts Trump? Why do he trust Putin? Why do he trust Netanyahu? Don't trust people. No, I'm not saying you. I'm saying in general, anyone that trusts any of these government officials, any man on earth, anyone, gets a special curse from heaven. Why? Only one you're allowed to trust is Hashem Barach. All of these things that people are worried about, whether it's Irma or it's Putin, whether it's Korea or it's a uh, Trump, whether it's Iran or it's anything. Anytime you spend any worry on these people, you have the right amount of worry, but you're worried about the wrong thing. You have the right amount. You should be worried. All of you should be worried. Judgment days in two weeks. All of you should be worried. I am worried. I was so worried last night, I couldn't sleep. I could not sleep. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. I slept for an hour last night. I could not sleep. I was reading this parasha. I could not sleep. I continued reading more and more and more. I couldn't sleep. Why? I said, this parasha happened. This parasha continues to happen. If you read this parasha and you could sleep, you, my friend, are stone. Not the hardest stone. You, myself, you are a stone. You read this parasha, you understand what it says? You can't sleep. Everything is happening. Everything happened. Everything is probably going to happen again soon. If you can sleep at night with no worry, you have to get hit a few times. I got hit a few times. Almost a decade full of hits. A decade full of hits. I know this is real. So worried, all of you should be worried. I am worried. Everyone watching should be worried. Judgment days in two weeks. Hashem is showing you he's close. He's not showing you he's close and happy. He's just showing you he's close. You got Irma, you got Houston, you got Amalek, you got Iran, you got Trump, you got every, all the problems in the world somehow culminating right now. Everything is happening. Everyone wants to go to war. The world is about to explode. Why wouldn't you be worried? The problem is we have the right amount of worry, but we're worried about the wrong thing. Worried you should be, but the only thing you should be worried about is your connection and righteousness with Hashem. If you're righteous, you have nothing to worry about. You're doing what it says in the Torah, nothing to worry about. It doesn't matter if you live in America or you live on top of the Kotel Ma'aravi, the Western Wall. It doesn't matter if you live in Iran or you live in Afghanistan or you live somewhere in the middle of battle with Martin, the tzaddik, that's doing tshuva as we speak. Or you live anywhere else. Why? If you have a real connection with Hashem, that's full of mitzvot, full of doing what He says, He'll protect you. Where does He say? This week's parasha. This week's parasha. This week's parasha, He says, your enemies, you have nothing to worry about. I'll beat all of them. I'll beat all of them. But, if you're not righteous with Hashem, have a lot of worries. Why? He says, you're not righteous with Hashem. It doesn't matter where you are. If there's no enemy there, I'll bring the enemy to you. Sometimes the enemy is Amalek. 
Sometimes it's a president. Sometimes it's a wind. Sometimes it's a partner. Sometimes it's a teacher. Sometimes it's an IRS auditor. I'll make the enemy for you if you're not righteous. So yes, we have to be worried. But not about Iran. Not about Amalek. Not about Trump. Not about America. Not about the Palestinian terrorists, and not about the Israelis that support them. Don't worry about any of it. Wasting any time on the news is a waste of time. Why? It leads you to worry about the wrong thing. It's like someone knows they have a cold. I say, okay, here's antibiotics. You have a cold, bad cold. Here's antibiotics. No, 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 I'm taking something natural. Okay, take something natural. You want to take something natural? Shrecha, take something natural. Two weeks later, they're still sick. They're even sicker. They're even sicker. Two weeks later, I say, okay, the natural is not working, my friend. Your way is not working. If it would have worked, if it's a real antibiotic, so you know, it has to work within 48 hours. If your antibiotic does not work within 48 hours in real life, I'm not talking about figuratively speaking, real antibiotic does not affect your body within 48 hours, it's the wrong antibiotic. Doctors prescribe antibiotics based on trial and error. They give it to you hoping it works out. They don't actually know if it's going to work out. They're just, this is going to work for certain things that are related to this, but not always, not for everyone. And sometimes you're allergic to a specific antibiotic. Point being is, sometimes people want to do natural. You want to do natural? Go ahead, do natural. But if it's not working after two weeks, it's not going to work after three weeks either. So I come to you, I say, here's antibiotic. I say, no, no, I'm doing natural. Two weeks later, you're sicker. I say, here's an, here's an antibiotic. No, I'm still doing natural. You're not doing natural. You're doing craziness. Why craziness? You've been doing it wrong for two weeks. You've been doing it wrong for 60 years. You've been doing it wrong for 70 years. You're watching the news. Nothing changed. All you find out about in the news, who's dead, who's dying, who's probably going to die, who's broke, who lost all the money, who will lose money. All depressing news. And it leads you to worry about things you have no control over anyway. And all that worry supposed to be spent on inner reflection. What am I doing to make me better? What am I doing to do tshuva, to make my connection with the God above better? And that's why anyone that wants to do full tshuva during this Elul, this is a perfect time. Remove yourself from all this news. Remove yourself from all this stuff that gets you worried, gets you all worked up. All these pages, all this stuff. And I, I say it not because I think everyone should be ignorant. I say it because people get overly passionate about these topics of politics, of, of, of all these different things. That, that it's Even debates. People like to have religious debates. They join like Christian versus Jewish debates or Muslim versus Jewish debates. This is a complete waste of time. This is Satan. This at best is Amalek. At worst, it's Satan himself. Amalek is going to create doubts. What doubts? All of a sudden, we're worried about Iran, or we're worried about North Korea, or we're worried about Irma, or we're worried about uh, whether J.C. Penny is real. We're worried about all these things. That's, a, that's, that's we're worried about the wrong thing. Or it's Satan himself, we fall for it. We get addicted. All day we're watching the news. All day we're listening about debates between Jews and Christians. All day we're doing things except what we're supposed to do. So it's either Amalek or it's Satan. Neither one is good. All you need to spend your time with 
is Hashem Yitbarach. Other than your basic minimal requirement, you need to work, work, you need to eat, eat, you need to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, anything extra, connect to God. That's the only thing that's going to save you. It's the only thing that's going to save you. Nothing else is going to help you. Nothing. All the worry in the world is not going to change anything. People have debates about the stupidity of who's the president, who will be the president, who should be running the house, who this, in synagogues. In, I've seen this in synagogues. And I look at these people, it's like, they're so serious about this debate of what Trump should do, what he shouldn't do, what he had to do, what he can do, or people like to debate about what his daughter that converted to Judaism, if the conversion's authentic, if it's not authentic, what she's wearing, what she's not wearing, look, she's modest, look, she's not modest, is the son really going to be this? Like, all this stuff, who cares about, what? Who, why do you care? Do you think they're having a debate about you? Do you think they're sitting in the White House or in one of his giant uh, buildings that he owns thinking about, oh, you know, George, uh, yeah, he in, lives in Boca Raton. And, no, they don't care about you. Why do you talk about them so much? Who cares? Who cares? Why? The, the lowest form of conversation, lowest form of conversation is talking about other people. It's mamash, a waste of life. Connect to God. He's waiting for you. 3,300 years, he's waiting for you to talk to him. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about uh, Donald Trump and whether he's wearing a wig or not. Who cares if he's wearing a wig or not? Let him wear a wig. Leave the guy alone. Who cares? Who cares about all these things? Who cares? Why are you wasting any time? Why? You know how many times people send me messages just today about Irma? I haven't opened one of them. I just see the title of the message, Irma. Message, everyone's so worried about Igma. I'm like, what about God? What's that? You have God? Trust God. You have to do basic things. Basic things. Nothing that's going to drive you crazy. You have, if you live, obviously, you live on top of the water. The thing is supposed to come on the water. You didn't, it's not exactly an ideal place to stay. You're not allowed to be swimming in the middle of the ocean right next to Igma and expect protection. On the same token, on the same token, you don't need to go drive to Kentucky right now or to Canada and put all the kids on the roof and the neighbors and everybody's in the trunk and you're all driving. Yeah, we're, you know, like you, and there's a camera in the back. You don't need to do that. Relax. Hashem is here. The same one that's controlling the wind is the same one that will protect whoever deserves protection. And you're the crazy one. It's not necessarily nothing is going to happen. The point is, is that if we deserve something bad, there's nothing we can do about it. If we deserve good, there's nothing we can do about that either. We could ruin good. We can't ruin bad. Unfortunately, the world is disconnected. The world is disconnected. The world is disconnected from real Musar. There's only a handful of people out there that are teaching real Musar in the English language. Baruch Hashem, we have the Shut to be one of them. You have Rabbi Zitron, you have Rabbi Mizrahi, you have Rabbi Alon Nava. Uh, there's uh, a couple of other ones that I forget to mention. But in general, Wallerstein is good. Also Rabbi Wallerstein, uh, Rabbi Ades. 
there's a few, Mamash, a handful of people that teach real Musar in the English language. The rest of it is Kerbe Rabbis. With all due respect to all the Torah that they know, no one does Chuba. No one does Chuba. 20 years they're teaching. Not one person did anything. Nothing. You got a giant Dayan right next door to me where I live. Giant. He knows Torah better than I can dream of. Not one person does Chuba. Why? Look at his Bekneset. There's more Christians moving into the community than there are Jews. Well, you want to bring a Christian missionary, that's what's going to happen. They figure, oh, this is a good Christian ground. So, the thing is, people don't get it. You, don't, you can't help people do tshuva without Musar. There's, no, there's nothing, it just doesn't work. How do you enlighten that in family? The way you enlighten is by getting people to come to the shul. Yeah, it's the only way. Call whatever you want. You have to. You have to get only thing that could get the stone. Only thing that can get the stone to be not not to be a stone. There's two things: either they get hit by the words or they get hit by a stick. It's better to get hit by words, because the words they just attend, they enjoy. Maybe once in a while, I say a joke every four months. They enjoy. That's better. Why they listen? They hear the truth. They do tshuva. When it's a stick, it's from him. It hurts. I've experienced. So that's it. They don't want to do it. They'll, they'll, one way or another, everyone's going to have an opportunity to do tshuva. Some people get hit non-stop. They still won't get no, no, no. It's not non No, trust me, it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm telling you. Okay, well, no, no. They'll, they'll, everybody will do tshuva at some point. Everyone will do tshuva. Unfortunately, it won't help them because it's too late. But everyone, it gets to a point. Don't worry. Actually, in this parasha, this parasha, it says... At the end, at the end of all the hitting and how much Hashem punishes, Hashem Menachem, it's so scary. He says, in the morning, you're going to wish it's night, meaning it's so much pain, you can't wait for it to be over, for it to be night. And when it gets to the night, you're going to miss the morning. Meaning the pain that you thought you had, and you're waiting for it, for it to be better, the later pain is so much worse that you forgot how bad it was. Like it just continues getting worse. Trust me, all the people getting hit, they lose a little money, they get divorced, a few kids get this, a few kids... It's nothing. Nothing. Pain? Hashem wants to give pain? Don't worry. Everyone does tshuva. My dear friend Fidel says at the hospice center that he, that he uh, volunteers in, everyone's righteous. The hospice center, everyone's righteous. Every, the atheist believes in God. Ask him. He's right there. Everyone's righteous at the hospice center. Why? They know they're about to meet the maker they deny their whole life. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows the truth. Just decide to be fools. Go ahead. Well, you have to measure where you're at. And you have to measure what you're doing to do your best. So there are basic foundation of mitzvot. Shabbat, kosher, family purity, um, uh, learning Torah every day, and so on. There's some basic foundation of mitzvot. If you're doing the basics, you're doing the basics, then through your learning, and Hashem knows that you're trying to continuously improve, then through your learning, Hashem will give you ideas, will give you special assistance of different things to add. As a merit of doing mitzvot, the reward for a mitzvah, we learned in last week's parasha, is another mitzvah. One of the 
explanations of that is because you're doing tshuva, Hashem is going to help you improve your tshuva by giving you the ideas of what's the next thing to work on. But that's if you're being intellectually honest with yourself. If you're lying, nothing will help you. If you're lying, you're only going to find new excuses of why you're allowed to violate every single thing in the Torah. So when someone is intellectually honest, they're going to make sure that they are doing things constantly to improve themselves. I have some people that, Baruch Hashem, when they listen to what we said, Mamash, miracles happened. There's one guy, he was married five years. Married five years. No chupa, no kiddushin, no nothing. No tarat mishpacha, nothing. No kosher, no Shabbat, nothing. Completely nothing. He came to us a few years ago. Within the first year, he realized, I'm on the wrong track. By the third year, he believed in God. By the third shiur, he believed in God, like believed, okay, I'm taking on some mitzvot, start keeping Shabbat. Five years they're married, no kids. Why no kids? Doctor says we can't have kids. That's what the doctor says, they can't have kids. So, little by little they do tshuva, little by little they come to shiur Torah, they get better. They get better, they get better, they get better. One day I found out, they never had chupah and kiddushin. I said, you know, it's very important for you to have chupah and kiddushin because even though technically you're married and you're acting like husband and wife and you call yourself husband and wife, according to the laws of Hashem, you have to have chupah and kiddushin. Oh, what's the big deal? Hashem already knows. Hashem, yes, Hashem already knows, but He still has laws. Do chupah. We'll arrange it. Whatever we have to do, we'll arrange it. Long story short, He listened. He listened. The wife listened. He listened. Five years. Five years they're married, no kids. Doctor says, can't have kids. Nine months later, after Chupa Kiddushin, baby girl. You do the will of Hashem, everything is possible. Everything is possible. The doctor is human. God's not. You do what he says, Hashem will change nature for you. These types of miracles, I see them amash daily. Daily, I see it. Students that follow things we say, it's not me saying it. It's Hashem saying it. Problem is, no one else wants to say it. Very few people want to say it. And the reason why is because when you do what I do, you get $20 tzedakah. When you tell people that it's tzedikim, you get 20000 If I charge for my lectures, I'd have no lectures. No one would pay me to come. Why? Who in their right mind will pay somebody to rebuke them? Who in their right mind will pay somebody to tell them they're wrong? Who in their right mind will, tell, will, will pay somebody unless they're already righteous and they don't really need rebuke? Like the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon paid somebody to rebuke him. The truth is, he didn't need rebuke. Why? is tzaddik. In our generation, we don't have that. Who in their right mind will pay somebody to rebuke them? No one. So if I actually charge for my lectures, I'd have no lectures. But the guy that tells everyone that tzaddikim, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 50, whatever you want, pick a price, we'll pay it. Why? He told us what tzaddikim. Who's not going to pay for compliments? Who's not going to pay to hear from somebody with a kippah on 
that they're good, they're perfect, they're great, they're tzaddikim, they're Moshe Rabbeinu, they're this. This is also in the Torah, by the way. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, the rebuker of all rebukers. In Gemara Masechet Megillah, it says, Hashem Itbarach cried when Moshe Rabbeinu died. Why? He says, who's going to rebuke my people like Moshe Rabbeinu? But Moshe Rabbeinu says on himself, he says, Hashem, this nation, they didn't even pay for my donkey that I used to go to Egypt to go save them like you told me to go do. Even my donkey, they didn't pay for. Meaning everything I did for free. They didn't even pay for gas money. They didn't pay. Why? Who in their right mind is going to pay somebody to rebuke them? But Hashem pays. How? It's his business. Go ahead. They ignore you. Okay, so the halacha is, is that you're supposed to tell somebody, let's say for example, if you see somebody violating Shabbat, you have to tell them. They continue, you have to continue trying to tell them, up to the point of where they're about to beat you up. You have to tell them until the point where you're about to beat you up. Meaning that's in essence symbolizing that you are exerting full effort to try to tell them the truth. Once it gets to a point where they're threatening to beat you up, whether it's at that point, then you stop. You don't have to tell them anymore. Now, someone's going to say, okay, great, that just ruined all of my relationships. All of my relationships that I have, all my friends, all my family, they all want to beat me up. No one wants to listen. The beauty is that when you really try, Hashem will give you help and some people will listen. But even more than that, you should know that there's a very big reward for rebuking people. It's a very big reward. What's the reward? If you see somebody violating Shabbat, for example, one of the foundational covenants of, uh, of uh, Am Yisrael, between Am Yisrael and Hashem, see somebody violating Shabbat on a regular basis, and you rebuke them, you tell them the truth, not to embarrass them, but for the purpose of helping them. Obviously, you have to know how to do it, when, who, when, you're, you, know, you have to follow certain uh, things. If you follow everything, and they still don't want to listen, you have a very big reward in Shemaim. What's that reward? You have their Olam Abba. Now, in the Mishnah, in Sanhedrin, it says, Kol Yisrael chelek All of Israel have a share in the world to come. But then the next ten Dapim say, and these are the ones that do not have a share of the world to come. So the question is, what happens to this share? First verse says, everyone has a share of the world to come. The next 10 pages say, these are the following who don't have share of the world to come. Echal Shabbat, Oved and so on and so forth. So, what happens to this share? It just disappears, it goes into the air, maybe they give it to the Care Bears, maybe they feed it to the Irma. What happens to it? It says it goes to the ones who rebuke them. The ones that told them, go do tshuva, and they didn't do it, they get a bigger piece. They get their Olam Abba. So yes, they had a piece of Olam Abba, but they can't use it. So it has to go somewhere. Where does it go to? The one guy that told them, do tshuva. You didn't do tshuva? Okay, he gets it. So you actually have a benefit. Either way, you win. You're not supposed to do it for the purpose of getting their Olam Abba. You're supposed to do it for the purpose of getting to do tshuva, because then you get a bigger piece of Olam Abba anyway. You get 310 worlds for every Jew, you help them do tshuva. 310 worlds for every Jew that does tshuva, you get 310 new worlds. 
Worlds, not the uh, condominium. Worlds, 310. So you give one guy a CD, cost you a dollar, or you got it for free from the lecture. He does chuba because of the CD. You have 310 worlds. Who's better than you? He doesn't want to listen. He doesn't want to do it. Either way, you win. Why? You got his aloba. It's not to be mean. It's just a reality. It's a reality. Why? The share has to go somewhere. Share has to go somewhere. It's a delicious sandwich. Somebody has to eat it. He doesn't want to eat it. Okay, I'm going to eat it. Next. Shiduch is different. It's not, you didn't necessarily help them do tshuva. You helped them uh, get married. There's a different reward for that. Tshuva is specifically getting somebody to go from, in essence, you're taking them from Genom to Ganeden. Zad Hashem, Zad Hashem, you keep helping Am Yisrael get closer to Hashem, there's an endless amount of reward we can't even imagine. For, for helping for Shiduchim, obviously you're a partner with Hashem. Hashem says that there is three things that uh, he's the one that's wor- that he's the one that's responsible for it. So when you're in, part of Shiduchim is Hashem's responsibility. That's what he does. So in essence, when someone is a Shatchan, they actually make righteous Shiduchim with righteous people together. They're becoming partners with Hashem. There's no better partner than Hashem. Uh, I, I just want to go back to the earlier thing about the um, Not that we know who it is, mm-hmm. but uh, since we see a reference to Rome, okay. and obviously there's references to the Lebanese Shemayim, and since it's fairly obvious that the Iranians and the Hezbollah are opposing us as well as the Bani Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, perhaps some of the Palestinians accepted, but I'm not talking about them, I'm talking about the majority of the rest of them. Right, so? Um, is, is it possible that this predicted uh, reconciliation that's supposed to be between Yitzhak and uh, The same book of Daniel that we read before that talked about Irma also talked about Ishmael too and he talked about Esav. And he talked about Gog and Magog and he talked about the end of times. That was the prophecy of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was told by the prophet Daniel that he will be the most powerful king until the Mashiach comes. Now there are many prophecies about what's going to happen in the days of Mashiach. One of them is the Milchem and Gog Magog. The war of Gog Magog where Ishmael, uh, which in essence is Islam, and Esav, which is all of Christianity and Catholicism, which in essence means 98% of the world, is or the majority of the world, uh, is are going to go head-to-head. They're going to go fight. First, they're going to fight each other. It's going to be a nuclear war. It's going to be a horrible war. The prophet uh, Zachariah describes this war, uh, in essence, how you would describe a nuclear war. Says the eyes are going to 
uh, melt and uh, like liquid out of the uh, face of a person. The skin will melt and so on. It's a nuclear war in essence. The, uh, I believe it was the Arizal says that this war will last nine minutes, which in the days of the Arizal, this wouldn't be possible. So today we know it's possible. And in essence, they're describing a nuclear war and a big craziness, bigger than any war uh, that we have other than the war between Amalek and Am Yisrael in the, uh, in the desert. In Midrash Me'am Loez, it talks about the war between Amalek the nation of Amalek and Am Yisrael, and it says this is the biggest war in history, even bigger than what Gog and Magog is going to be. And the reason why is because it was a spiritual war. Uh, Amalek had uh, different sorcerers who knew who's destined to die and who's not. And uh, so they only sent the soldiers that they knew could not die, according to their knowledge. Joshua had to keep everyone alive, but the problem is that the sun had to be up. That's how they would have uh, they would stay uh, stay alive. So in essence, Joshua had to pray to Hashem for Hashem to keep the sun. So one of the miracles that happened during this war is that uh, Hashem kept the sun in the sky specifically for Joshua for extra amount of time. Anyway, this was a very big war, a lot of spiritual powers, and beyond the scope of the conversation we have today. Point being is that the uh, Gogu Magog is first going to start between these two major powers, between Ishmael and Esav. After they fight, beat each other up, eventually they're going to stop and gonna say, you know what, this whole war is about what? It's about Jerusalem. They all decide that it's all about Jerusalem. Whose fault is it? This is the Jews' fault. So they both gather together and they go fight against Am Yisrael. They conquer Am Yisrael. And in essence, what the, uh, one of the major prophecies says in the Gemara, it says in the uh, Zohar, it says in, uh, um, also in the Tanakh itself, that they're going to conquer Israel, uh, uh, Israel for nine months. They're going to take over it for nine months. Uh, this is the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin. And um, they're going to take over. And then... Mashiach comes, and you know, there's a lot of other things that follow. The point being is that there's no peace. There's no peace with Ishmael, there's no peace with Esav, there's no peace. There's war. The only thing that brings peace is Mashiach. Mashiach will come and bring peace by first beating everybody up. First, he's going to destroy all the wicked. Two thirds of the world will die initially, the last third will be tested uh, the same way that uh, you test gold. I have family that's in the gold business. And, uh, you know, sometimes people try to sell fake gold. You know, they bring you something that looks like gold, but it's fake. But it looks like real gold. So how do you do it? You put acid on it. You put acid on the gold or certain chemicals on the gold and it tells you whether it's fake or not. If it's fake, you see it's fake right away. If not, so Hashem says to the prophet, I'm going to test the last third, the last remaining third, both of the Goyim, and whatever is left of the righteous Jews, I'm going to test them like you test gold. Meaning, it's not going to be easy to stay religious. You're going to have a bunch of missionaries coming after you. You're going to have a bunch of Islamic people coming after you. You have a Satan coming after you. Amalek coming after you. Yetzirah coming after you. The different doubts in your mind coming after you. Money problems coming after you. Health issues coming Everything is going to tell you, go left. You have to stay right. You have to stay with Hashem. Stay close. This is why I remind you over and over again, 
stay away from all things that are against Hashem. All things that are not what He wants you to do. Because all of those things are just going to get you away from the right direction. So in essence, there's no peace. Ishmael, Esav, all of them, some will survive, some won't. Most will not survive. Most of the world will not survive. This is not because we wish them bad. This is simply because they're wicked. They're going against God. The few that are righteous will survive. And uh, that goes the same thing for the Jews. If you're wicked, you have a problem. Fix it before it's too late. Right, so, so the, the uh, Midrash explains that when Hashem told Avraham Avinu, your children are going to be like the stars or the grains of the sand. Uh, but then later on in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that Hashem didn't pick us because we are a nation of large numbers. It says that, uh, as a matter of fact, it's the opposite. We're small numbers, so how could it be? Contradicts each other. So here's where you need to understand what Hashem said to Avraham Avinu. Hashem said to Avraham Avinu, your, your descendants are going to be like the stars or grains of sand. What does it mean, stars of grains of sand? It says, when they're righteous with Hashem, when they listen to Hashem, when they do what Hashem says, like it says in his parasha, 13 times, 13 times it says, listen to Hashem. When they do what Hashem says, they're going to be like the stars. Above the world, above nature, nothing in the world can take them over. Why? They're the stars. Superstars. Above nature, above mazal, above above everything. They have nothing to worry about. They're the stars. Why? They're righteous with Hashem. When they're not righteous with Hashem, they're like the sand. What's the sand? It's even below Amalek. It's even below the Goim. Why? They're wicked. When they're not righteous with Hashem, they don't have the same deen as the Goim. When the Goim go against Hashem, Hashem gives them... Endless amount of time. They can live their whole life as idol worshippers. They have a predestined amount of time to live in the world. They die righteous, they die righteous. They die wicked, they die wicked. The Jews, on the other hand, Hashem goes out of His way and changes nature to punish them. Not just to reward them. He goes above nature to reward them, but also goes above nature to punish them. Why? You're not like everyone else. You don't have an option of being like everyone else. Being chosen is not just a privilege. It's a responsibility. So Hashem told Avraham Avinu, when your children are good, they're superstars. Not, they have a lot of problems. A lot of problems. Next question. Yeah. What happens to the soul of the dead that we pray for? So we did a chidush today, uh, a dear new friend, Adam, Baruch Hashem, he's starting to do tshuva, someone sent him my shiurim, and he's starting to watch shiure Torah. This is already the beginning of tshuva. Unfortunately, what led him to start watching Torah is that his father died. So he asked a friend to ask me about uh, Kaddish. Should he do Kaddish, should he not do Kaddish? You know, the tradition in Judaism is to say Kaddish when someone dies. And the reason why is because when someone says Kaddish, it elevates the soul of the person that died. 
Because what Kaddish is, is a way to sanctify Hashem's name, glorify it. You're giving better, uh, you know, better and better descriptions of Hashem, glorifying His name, one description after another, after another, after another. Each word is another positive compliment you're giving to Hashem. Not that He needs our compliment, but in essence, this is what we're doing when we say Kaddish. Now, so when we say Kaddish, it elevates the soul. Rabbi Yudah Ptaya, Zechat Tzadik Livracha, he had a book where he wrote about conversations that he had with souls that have passed on. They would come to him in dreams and different uh, events. And uh, he wrote many times that these souls will come to him begging him to find somebody to say Kaddish for them. So they could help them get out of Gehenom. So they could help them get to a better place in Gehenom. So they could help them even get into Ganeden. And so on. People would come and he would say, listen, please get me somebody to say Kaddish. My sons don't know anything. I can't get out of Gehenom until someone says Kaddish. I can't get into Ganeda until someone says Kaddish. Please find me somebody. So he writes this in his book. Now, the problem is, is that sometimes you have people dying and the person that's saying Kaddish is a Baal Mum. The person that's saying Kaddish on them is someone with a deformity. Now, I don't mean a deformity that's a physical deformity. I mean a spiritual deformity. Now, if someone wants to praise Hashem, glorify Hashem, at the very least, you have to be a friend of Hashem. You have to be a lover of Hashem. Now, when someone is an immodest person, even as a man, when someone constantly curses, when someone constantly says Lashonara, when someone violates Shabbat on a regular basis, when someone is constantly going against Hashem and is in essence a secular person, them saying Kaddish is not only not honoring Hashem, if anything, it's hurting the Neshama that they're saying Kaddish on hurting it. Why? Because it's reminding Hashem that you're connected to them. And there's actually a debate whether you're even allowed to say Amen to their Kaddish if they're violators of Shabbat. Why? Because they're considered idol worshippers. Can't say Amen to a, pray, to a prayer of an idol worshipper. So if that person is a uh, Shabbat violator or Shabbat desecrator or goes with a married woman or does one of these sins that's Isur Karet and is putting their Judaism on suspension, then them saying Kaddish is not helping the soul at all. It hurts the soul. Uh, or at the very least, it stays the same. On the other hand, if that person is now doing tshuva, they're starting to keep Shabbat, they're starting to learn Torah, they're starting to try, they're, they're doing something. They don't have to necessarily be Avraham Avinu to say Kaddish. If you're at least trying to be better, then your Kaddish is elevating the soul and could potentially bring somebody... Mamash, from Gehenom to Ganeden. You could literally take somebody out of Gehenom with, with enough mitzvot, that, with enough merits. So it's not simply by just saying Kaddish. You have to do a lot more than that. You have to do mitzvot in their honor. You have to help other people do tshuva in their honor. You know, and that's also one of the things that uh, a lot of people ask me about in regards to certain um, sins are almost impossible to fix. So for example, the one sin we talk about often is wasting seed. How do you fix wasting seed? 
Once it's wasted, it's wasted. You can't get it back. Someone that wasted seed, he wasted, killed, he's considered a murderer in Shemaim. So how do you unmurder? You can't bring those Neshamot back. So the way it is, is that there's a few things that a person that wasted seed must do. Number one, they must give tzedakah for each time they've wasted seed, uh, the equivalent of 84 fasts. Which means you have to give a lot of tzedakah for the rest of your life. That's one. Two, you have to learn a lot of serious Torah. Serious Torah means a combination of Musal and Gemara. The type of Torah that gets you to change. Not the type of Torah that gets you to feel good. The type of Torah that gets you to, you know, pinches your heart a little bit. Makes you realize you're not exactly Moshe Rabbeinu. So you have to learn difficult Torah. The last but not least, even if you do both of those things, it's still not enough. Why? Because you show up to Shemaim, you're still missing stuff. It's like someone that violated Shabbat for 30 years, and then they did Shuvah. They arrived at Shemaim and said, great, you did Shuvah, you kept Shabbat for 90 years. You died at 120, but for the first 30 years you violated Shabbat. We're not going to judge you for the whole 30 years because you were young in the beginning. We're going to judge you only for 20 to 30 years old. From the age 20 to 30 years old, which means you're missing 10 years of Shabbat. So even though you were tzaddik 90 years, you're still missing 10 years of Shabbat. You can't just, it's okay. It's not okay. So how do you fix 10 years of missing Shabbat? The same way that you fix 10 years of wasting seed. The same way that you fix 10 years of all other sins. How? You get other people to do tshuva. You get other people to stop wasting seed. Each time you get somebody else to stop wasting seed, it's like you stop wasting seed. Again, each time you get somebody to keep Shabbat, it's like you kept Shabbat. So now if you have, let's say, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 10, 50 people that you help them do tshuva, every Shabbat it's like you're keeping 50 Shabbats. So you have at Shemayim with a surplus, with extra Shabbats. You get reward for the extra Shabbats. That's why when you, for example, when people mention the tzaddikim, they say schut, uh, the schut of Rabbi Meir Baranes, the schut of Rabbi Akiva, the schut of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. What does it mean, the schut? They have extra. They have a surplus of mitzvot. They have a surplus of mitzvot. You want to arrive to Allah Abba with a surplus. So every time you help somebody do tshuva, every, let's say, for example, they keep Shabbat because you gave them a CD, you brought them to a lecture, whatever you did to influence them to get there, even if you just ignited it. First thing, you got them to do it, you have a full share of all of their mitzvot after that. Every Shabbat, it counts like you kept two Shabbats. So now they're going to keep Shabbat for 50 years. Now instead of you missing 10 years of Shabbat, you have a surplus of 40. Now since you don't know who's going to end up keeping and for how long and what and who, you got to pretty much end because you're smart and you want as much surplus of mitzvot as you do want money in this world. So what do you do? You try to get everyone to do tshuva. Everyone you possibly can. Strangers, friends, family, everyone. In general, the most difficult candidates to help do tshuva is immediate friends and family. In general, it's the most difficult, and in general, it's not recommended that you spend all your resources on friends and family. Get somebody else to do it. Why? Because your friends and family will not listen to you. They will always view you as the previous you, before tshuva you. It's the reality. Every rabbi will tell you this, that is involved with Kiruv, whether it be me or it be Rabbi Mizrahi or Rabbi Elon Nava, you ask all of us. Same thing. Same thing. 
most difficult people to help them do tshuva is family. So how do you get your family to do tshuva? Obviously, you tell them if you can, you invite them if you can, you teach them if you can, but don't bet the farm on it. How do you get them to do tshuva? You get them to shield Torah, get somebody else to do it. You get them a CD, get somebody else to do it. That's what's going to help. That's step number one. Step number two, show Hashem that you really need His help and you deserve His help. So how do you show Hashem that you really need His help and you deserve His help? By showing Him that you care about His kids. You get His other kids that are not related to you and not connected to you. To do tshuva, Hashem says, Oh, look at that. You care about my kids. You brought 5, 10, 15, 50 of them back home. Okay, I need you to be happy in Olam How are you going to be happy if your entire family and friends and neighborhood isn't getting home? That's not so happy. So you know what? I love you so much. And because you brought 50 of my kids back, I'll bring 50 of your family members back. How? I'll send somebody else to them that's going to influence them, that they will listen to. So that's how it happens. That's, you have, that's how you get Siyat Adishmaya. People spend all of their resources trying to help their family do tshuva. I saw this many times. It's not the right move. They're not going to listen to you. They're never going to see you as you today. They're always going to use the excuse that you used to be like them. So what makes you better? So what you changed? So what it's been five years? So what it's been 15 years? So what? If it was, you did it when you were ready, I'll do it when I'm ready. You did tshuva when you were ready, I'll do tshuva when I'm ready. Everyone has a satan inside them. I know this. I deal with this every day. So how do you do it? You get someone to do it for you. You arrange a shield Torah. You build it up. You get food. Because people come for food. They don't come for shield Torah. You get sushi. You get pastrami. You get uh, pizza. You get the whole restaurant. Whatever. Get food. Get a bunch of people. Spend some money. Stop being cheap. Get some money together. Cook. The shiurim we have at Adi's house, full of food, full of passion, full of amazing. People do tshuva in every shiur. Why? They come, they listen, they do tshuva. It's a reality. But you have sometimes, I had shiuret Torah at people's houses. What do they put? There's like three can, miserable candies in the middle. Hopefully somebody takes them because they've been here since the house was built in the 1920s. Nothing there, and people barely want to come. There's nothing there. People leave in the middle. They walk around. They're talking on the phone. No one's serious. You got to build it up. Get the Bikneset to sponsor something. Spend a few dollars to advertise. Build it up. Get a lecture. Get 100, 200, 500 people to show up. Just like they'll show up for some goy, uh, motivational speaker. Get them to show up to a guy who can actually motivate them to do something about their real future. Build it up. Get the family to show up. Why? It's easy to get them to show up after they see you're putting so much effort and money into it. It's easy to get them to show up after they see the whole neighborhood is going. How could I not go? It's my own brother that's doing it. It's my own son that's doing it. It's my own husband that's doing it. How could I not go if the whole neighborhood is going? You put them in a situation where they're uncomfortable not to go. Once they go, it's up to Hashem. Once they go, if you made the right choice of who the speaker was, you didn't bring a care bear, every person that does tshuva in that shiur goes to your account. That's how you get your family to do tshuva. You want to try a different strategy? Good luck. 
You could try, you could break your head with other strategies. I just know they don't work, but you want to try it, try it. You want people to do tshuva, you have to start getting ready to work. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to get people to do tshuva. In essence, you have to understand what this business is, what this Mishnah is telling you to sum it all up. I'll ask, I'll answer more questions if you want, but to sum it all up, what's happening here? Hashem says one guy studies to teach the ones around him, I'll help him at the level. He set himself his, his, his uh, goals low, I'll help him where he was. The other guy that's trying to get high, trying to get to the highest level, trying to get to the highest level of Olamaba. Highest level of Olamaba is someone that gets people to do tshuva. It's higher than the biggest tzaddikim in the world. Someone that gets people to do tshuva gets the highest level of Olamaba. He wants to get there. Hashem says, just for him wanting to get there, trying to get there, is enough of a reason for me to help him. He doesn't know anything. I'll give him the knowledge. He doesn't have the strength. I'll give him the strength. He doesn't have the nothing. I'll give it to him. He doesn't have the money. I'll give it to him. Why? He wants it. Just for him wanting it, I'll give it. Why? 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 Because it's not something normal to want. Why is it not normal to want this? Why is it not normal to want people to do tshuva? It sounds like a good thing. Why would I not want people to do tshuva? Why would somebody not want people to do tshuva? The reason is, you're only going to know once you start. I could tell you what happens, but you're only going to know once you get involved. Anyone that's on the Team Hashem, that's on our Team Hashem, knows what I'm about to say. Anyone that's not on Team Hashem doesn't know. Why? Once you actually, actively go try to help people do tshuva, you officially make yourself enemy number one of the Satan. Now, Hashem created everything measure for measure, one next to the other. And just like He created a kisea kavod for Himself, the throne of glory for Himself, He created one for the Satan. So in essence, the Satan sits there. Now for most things, Satan has employees. He has employees to go bother you. He has employees to go get you to look at girls. He has employees to go get you to gamble. He has employees to go get you to do stupid things. Once in a while he gets up. When does he get up? When he starts stealing his employees. You start stealing his employees, he gets off the chair. You have start, You become enemy number one of the Satan. You start getting special tikkunim. Why? Because to get people to do tshuva... It's not small business. In essence, what you're doing is you're going inside Gehenom, in the fire, and you're taking people out, and you're putting them in Gan Eden. That's what Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev meant. That's what Rabbi Meir Baranes meant. That's what all the tzaddikim meant. When they said, I'll take people out of Gehenom, that's what they, they, you go into Gehenom, in the fire. You take the neshama, you put it in Gan Eden. That's stealing an employee from a satan. He's not happy about that. He's going to try to do whatever he can to stop you. Who are you to take people out of my kingdom? Who are you? So not everyone has the schut to do it. It's not easy. If you want to do it, it's big merit for it. It's big reward for it. But it's not easy. You're going to have special tikkunim to do it. 
Now, the Rambam says if someone lives in a bad neighborhood, they must move. If the neighborhood in Yoreh De'a, chapter 9, if your neighborhood is bad, full of secular people, full of Amalek, full of Kufrim, you must move. If you can't find a neighborhood that is full of tzaddikim, you have to find something. If there's no such neighborhood, there's no place with righteous people, everyone's wicked. There's no such thing as righteous people anymore. You are the last righteous person on earth. Or perhaps you can't afford to go anywhere else. Rambam makes Allah, makes the law, says you must move to the desert or a cave. But then, in chapter 6, first Allah of Elechot the Rambam, he first says that you have to move. But you don't have to move if you do Kiruv. You don't have to move if you're a person that teaches Torah. In fact, it's common for a person that gets people to do tshuva to live in terrible places, surrounded by not the greatest of people. Why? How could, what are you, above the law? Everyone else has to move to the desert except you. He says, yes. Why? He says, because when you're really doing kiruv, that means you're doing the ultimate chesed. You're doing the ultimate giving. And when you're so busy with giving, you have no time to receive the kfirah and the sins from them. The influence from them is not going to affect you. You have no time for it. You have no time to listen to Amalek. You have no time to listen about J.C. Penny. You have no time to listen about Iran. You have no time to listen about Trump. You don't have no time for any of that stuff. Why? You're too busy helping people do tshuva. That's why you don't need to move. You don't need to move. But if you're not one of those Kiruv people, move to the desert. So you have benefits. You have pluses and minuses. But it's not easy. It's not easy. But when you do Kiruv, you have special miracles. You have special... special uh, Deal. Any more questions online? Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen ve'amen.